is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, September 8th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 272. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that'll take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo, guys, we've got a lot of breaking news today. The Senate reconvened this week. But what for? <laughs> we'll take a look at it. The infighting between members of the Republican House is heating up before they're set to reconvene next week. We'll take a look there as well and we'll play a little 2024 presidential primary roundup guys as usual we got a great slate of guests coming in on our friday show today we're going to be sitting down with representative pat fallon for the first time fbi whistleblower steve friend kingsley cortez of the washington dc young republicans and former congressional candidate nuclear energy expert and combat veteran jr majuski will be joining us as well but before we get to any of the news and headlines Let's take it down to the Lone Star State and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak. For breakfast. So stand by. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Rowan. Noah's here. Yo. Big Friday edition of the show today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, of course, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started on the show today, we're being joined for the first time by the congressman who represents Texas 4. Very excited to sit down with Representative Pat Fallon. Congressman, welcome to the show. Gentlemen, you are two great Americans. Thanks for having me. And we're absolutely honored to have you. So getting things started here on the on the Friday edition of our podcast, we, we want to talk to you about congressional recess. You guys are getting ready to reconvene next week, but you've been doing a lot of work in district over the course of the last month or so. Why don't you catch our listenership up on to all the things that's going on in Texas 4? Absolutely. Thank you. Listen, if our Republicans going to not only you know thrive but survive, we've got to have elected officials that are responsive to their bosses, the folks that, that, got, that sent them to, whether it's the state capitol or Washington or what have you. So I think the most important thing that any member can do, particularly House members, is have as many town halls as possible, knock on doors, go directly to the voters, and ask them what's important to them and what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and answer questions. So we had just had a series of about a dozen no-holds-barred town halls where they're, and they were fortunately very well attended, and we give a synopsis of what's been going on in Washington, what we expect over the next few months, and then ask or answer any questions that are asked. And we try to get to as many questions as possible. And that has been very enlightening. And you can really talk intelligently when you get back to Washington about what's going to be different. Yeah, it's great to hear that, uh, you know, these are well attended and, and that you're, the people are, you know, getting to hear exactly what you guys plan on working on once you get back up to Capitol Hill, which is some of the stuff we're going to touch on with you today, Congressman. So one of your congressional counterparts this week, Claudia Tanney, she was on Fox Business and she was talking about uh, the disappointment that, you know, has been the disaster that Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary, has oversaw since Joe Biden got him appointed two and a half years ago. Now, there was some leaked uh, intel this week from the Department of Homeland Security suggesting that moving forward 
forward, Joe Biden might order Alejandro Mayorkas to keep all of the migrants illegally crossing in places like Texas and adjacent southern border states to prevent the continuing destruction of cities like New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and, of course, uh, Philadelphia, where many of them are being dumped right now. When, when you see the job that Alejandro Mayorkas hasn't done and how he's lied before just about everybody in front of Congress and both the House and Senate, and, and now they're trying to hold the hundreds of thousands who are crossing each month solely in the states of Texas and Arizona and New Mexico, wh- what does that kind of light a fire underneath you for heading back up to Capitol Hill next week and knowing that at some point soon you're going to have that guy back in committee? Well, I think what it does do is justify... The, the fact that, uh, and it makes me very proud of the fact that our office was the very first uh, member of Congress. We filed articles of impeachment on Alhan America's this Congress in January because he has, as you said, lied to the American people. He has not maintained operational control of the Southern border, which the 2006 Secure Fence Act requires him to do. And then he lied to not only Congress, but the American people, but he said that his agents were whipping. Haitian migrants when they were on horseback. That was not true. Emails show that he knew it wasn't true, and he said it anyway. So he's completely unfit for office. This has been an egregious dereliction of duty. And then to have Joe and Mayorkas conspire to keep this catastrophe, try and keep it contained to four states, is absolutely absurd. Quite frankly, we should wait. Basically, it's a wait in Texas policy, maybe because Joe Biden went to L.A. So in 1842, he thinks that Texas is another nation. Uh, Joe, it's not. And the wait in Mexico policy under President Trump actually worked. Where, oh, you, you're going to claim asylum? Which the non-governmental organizations tell the migrants to claim asylum. All of them claim asylum, even though we know 99.9% of them are economic migrants. It can try and contain them just in Texas. It shows their hypocrisy, number one. Number two... What we should do with anybody that does cross the border, first of all, again, we should repat them back to home country and wait, make them wait Mexico. But if they do cross the border illegally, they should be sent to solely sanctuary cities. The folks that are saying that they love illegal and that they want people to come here encouraging illegal activity, they should be shipped to San Francisco. They should be shipped to New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C. How about Joe Biden's Delaware uh, Beach Home? <laughs> Jeff Schumer's mansion up in New York? King Jeffrey's uh, house in uh, the city. And that's what we should be doing. And let the liberals, if you are all for open borders, that you take migrants into your homes. You spend your money. This, this not in the, my backyard crap has got to stop. Oh, it certainly does. You know, it seems like Eric Adams is having second thoughts about that. Well, he did a really good Donald Trump impersonation. Yeah, this week. I was actually impressed. The only thing he was missing was a wig. So I know you, <laughs> you, you make a lot of sense there, Congressman. And it's, it's the truth. This is listen, when you talk about all the gotaways and the actual numbers, there's probably between eight and 10 million people who have illegally crossed the border in just the last two and a half years, which means it could be around 20 million by the time Joe Biden leaves office, which is where I want to segue to next. Now, you guys do have a big task at hand in addition to a Appropriations, which I want to touch on a little bit later with you. But before we do that, the work that James Comer and Jim Jordan have been doing, heading the investigation into the Biden crime family, obviously there's been a lot of proceeds that James Comer has said that they've been able to get together, forming a timeline, making it more legitimate as this is turning into a criminal investigation against Joe Biden. Are, are you optimistic heading back up to Capitol Hill next week, thinking that at some point Kevin McCarthy is going to have to pull the trigger and open up this impeachment inquiry? 
Yeah, we really do. And just to close the loop on the, the, the topic we we're talking about with the illegal immigration and why do we work, Eric Adams is claiming that the 110,000 illegal migrants they have in the United is going to cost them $12 billion. Yeah, really, Eric? 110,000? How about a couple million in Texas? Yep. By, his ma- by his math, guys, he's perfectly content with Texas spending a quarter of a trillion dollars. But he thinks that New York's not going to be, you know, be the city that they've come to grow and know and love because there's 110,000 migrants. But to your question about the Biden crime family, I honestly went into this completely open-minded and objective. And I told Chairman Comer and Chairman Jordan that I didn't want to be, nor would I be, a party to just a, a gotcha game of retribution and revenge. So there has to be something here. And gentlemen, after looking at this now for a few years, it is clear to me that Hunter Biden was Joe Biden's back. We can prove $30 million foreign money funneled to the Biden family. We don't know what they did. Nobody knows what service they provided anyone. They cannot explain. Devin Archer can't. Hunter Biden can't, Joe Biden can't, although Joe Biden has gotten caught, I believe, 19 direct lies. He said that he never met any of business associates. That was not true. He's met dozens, if not scores, of his business associates. He didn't know what his son did. Yes, he did. He, he had conversations with his son's clients and business partners, um, some of which went to the Biden residence in the, the vice, in, in his vice presidential residence and in the White House of times. So right now, guys, I really truly believe the preponderance of the evidence clearly shows that it's more likely than not that Joe Biden wasn't in a criminal conspiracy, bribery, peddling, influence, and access with his son, Hunter. So if there's a preponderance of the evidence, it's incumbent upon Congress to open an impeachment inquiry. I think it has to get done. And, and, you know, listen, people with track records like James Comer and, and Jim Jordan and all the people who sit on the committees uh, alongside them, you know, I, I think your angle was the best way to go. It has to be with an open mind. It just can't be because Nancy Pelosi wanted to, you know, impeach Donald Trump for breathing the wrong way throughout the course of his presidency. Every single move he made came with. Will I be impeached possibly for making this decision? And, and they always hung it over his head. And I really didn't want to see a tit for tat because it set a bad precedent moving forward for all the other presidents who worked their ass off to get to the White House. Uh, is any regular decision that any president has made for the entirety of our republic going to be scrutinized to the point and up to impeachment just because the other side of the aisle doesn't like it or the other side of the aisle has more congressmen and women at that point than, than my team does? And, and I'm glad that this investigation has become not only extremely thorough but legitimate and i'm really looking forward to the uh, inquiry getting opened up and, and where this goes well run you, you the great points are made let's be very let's go beyond honesty let's go complete candor and frankness for your listeners and viewers the what i would like to see politically i want joe biden to be the democratic nominee selfishly because he's the weakest candidate they can field, Agreed. and I believe it gives a Republican the best chance to win in November of 2024. So I don't want, and I never want to say the three words that'll make us all very good, President Kamala Harris. Oof. I don't want those things, okay? But it doesn't matter what I want. It's the constitutional duty that I swore 
to serve and uphold, which is if there's a preponderance of the evidence that the president of the United States is corrupt and could be compromised and could be a national security threat, we need to find out the truth. We need to see if impeachment is warranted, not because, as you said, Donald Trump was impeached, and we can't go about this every time we have divided government, the president gets impeached. Yep. That's horrible for the country. Yeah. But there is clear and uh, convincing evidence that shows that Joe Biden was involved in a conspiracy. And that's why, let's look at this uh, historically. The Watergate break-in occurred in June of 1972. President Nixon didn't resign until August of 74. So it took over two years. Yep. We really have only been at this for eight months because we have had subpoena power for eight months. And we found out tremendous amounts. That's why you open up an inquiry, because then you find out more. If they didn't find the Nixon tapes, he would not have resigned because there would have not been a serious threat of impeachment. Yep. That's why you do this. If you discover more evidence, and when the Washington Post drops an editorial saying that this investigation is legit, it should go forward, you know you got something. Yeah, you know you certainly do, and uh, we're really looking forward to see how much more of the lid you guys are going to blow off this. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, don't want to keep you too long on the show, but we know one of the biggest things that's going to be on the menu when you guys get up to the Hill next week is the appropriations battle. Now, over the course of our last couple episodes of the show, we've had four other America First congressmen join us and all kind of, you know, land the same narrative. That's Wesley Hunt, Corey Mills, Mike Collins, and Eli Crane that they are sick and tired of bending the knee. They are sick and tired of saying they're going to do something and not being able to get it done for not only their constituents and their districts, but for the overall amount of the American people. And they are already behind the ball. The Senate's ahead of you guys in appropriations. I believe they have eight or nine bills hashed out already where you guys only have one. And, and they don't want to see... Kevin McCarthy bend the knee to Joe Biden again when it comes to appropriations. They didn't seem like they were too keen to see ours. They didn't seem like they wanted anything to do with the word omnibus moving forward. We all know we got to keep the government open and we got to keep it running. But at some point, we got to put our foot down. How are you looking at the appropriations battle coming up? No, I, I fully agree. A CR is not the way to go. I mean, it just makes China stronger, quite frankly. I sit on the armed services committee in New York and a lot of Americans don't know that. If you only have a continuing resolution, you don't pass a budget, you can't start new weapons projects. Yep. And we definitely need that. And never evolved with, you know, with technology the way it's working now and AI and the weapon systems that you had even two to three, five years ago are going to be obsolete. And so you have to have that keep sharpening the blade, if you will, and, and you stay at the cutting edge. So just on that, I started as a hard no on any CR. Let's get the job done. The American people said, American people voted. Three million more Americans voted for Republicans than Democratic candidates for Congress this last cycle. So that's the Americans' will. They want the Republicans to have a say in the process. And what you should have is the good old-fashioned spirited exchange of ideas and, co and some kind of a working compromise that's good for the country, like Newt Gingrich did with Bill Clinton. Yep. But Joe Biden is not up to the task. He's not that kind of leader. His best days have gone by him. Unfortunately, there's a tremendous degree of cognitive decline. It gives me Joe no joint saying that, but it's true, and it's highly unfortunate. And we've got to hold the line. We only have a narrow majority in one chamber. We do not have the Senate. We do not have the White House. So there's no possible way we're going to get everything that we want. It's just never going to happen. Okay, so let's get as much as we can for hardworking taxpayers in this country and not automatically take the first deal that's presented, negotiate hard, negotiate strong, 
and say that we're not going to get rolled over anymore. Got to score some wins for the American people. I like that initiative that you plan on bringing up there next week. It's it's reasonable. It makes sense, and and it's what you guys have to get done, Congressman. This has been awesome sitting down with you on the show today for the first time. We're obviously going to link your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that wants to follow you, maybe across social media, what's your handle? Oh, it'd be great if they could go to uh, at Rep Pat Fallon or go to our Facebook page Fallon for Congress. We'd love to uh, hear from anyone and the stand for the great patriots. My job is to make sure that America's best days have yet to be counted. And that's what we should all be going to Washington to try and uh, achieve. And we'll be looking to have you back on the show at some point in the near future. This is the congressman who represents Texas 4, Representative Fallon. Thanks for getting the show started and have a great weekend. Guys, thank you so much. God bless you. And I look forward to it. Take care. Now, the Senate gavels back into session with a lot to do. But there is one clear place to begin. Keep the government open. As we all know, government funding is set to expire on September 30th. By the end of this month, the House and Senate, Democrats and Republicans, all must get on the same page about keeping the government open and avoiding a pointless shutdown. A shutdown that will hurt just about every single American. A shutdown that, of course, shouldn't happen. To accomplish that, the answer is very simple. All sides must work together in good faith without engaging in extremist or all-or-nothing tactics. Look no further than the example we've set here in a bipartisan way in the Senate. Democrats working with Republicans on a bipartisan basis. Chairs, Democratic chairs, engaging fruitfully with Republican vice chairs and ranking members. All 12 appropriation bills have been reported out of committee with bipartisan support, some of them unanimously, unanimously. Both sides avoided dragging the process down with unseemly tactics. It sets a very good template for how things should work in Congress. Well, as we're going to get into the news portion of the show now, that was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer essentially putting everyone on notice that they're not huge fans of government shutdowns. But who is, really? even though he was quite the advocate for it during the Trump administration. Um, oh, that's right. <laughs> especially the uh, longest shutdown in the modern era. Yeah, what, what was that one over? That was... Uh, about $3.5 billion worth of border wall. Yeah, that seems reasonable because, come to find out, we ended up building it anyway. See the billions and billions we just sent to Ukraine to fortify their banking system and clean their energy? Are we building a border wall yet? We have to wait for the fighting to stop first. Oh, those are the HIMARS. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Can't do that here. No, sure can't. Well, <laughs> not yet. It's funny. The federal judges ordered Greg Abbott to move the uh, remove the buzzsaw buoys. I can't believe they put those in. Like, I mean, I like where his head's at, but I'm surprised. Those are the actual the ones with the buzzsaws mm-hmm. on them? Like, they're not like spinning buzzsaws. No. Like, not like fucking movies, but... I mean, buoys would have been probably sufficient. People could have just gone right over them, but he throws some saw blades on them. That's uh, delicious. Wow. That's what you're looking for. Listen, I think the thing that we need right now to uh, retune the direction of Congress might just be a big, fat government shutdown. Yeah, but so when they do it, it's necessary and it's reasonable and it's what had to be done to blah, blah, blah. But then then if it gets shut down over some stuff that we need, then, of course, we're, you know, disadvantaging 
thousands of people in the working class and blah, blah, blah. And Well, here's the thing. Yeah. You talk about what we need. Uh, the government needs to be funded. And if we can't agree on... The government needs to unfuck itself. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Sometimes it needs to get put in the corner, put in time out yep. for us to get there. Uh, Democrats have been out of control in this session of Congress, especially in the House, where they've been collaborating with Republicans to make America First life miserable. Mm-hmm. And it's allowed Kevin McCarthy to essentially be a greeter and not a leader. Yeah, we're not really liking him so much now, huh? No, I mean, we never really loved him. but No, but I mean, like, initially we were like, well, yeah. But I think that was just him. Smoke and mirrors. Well, yeah, it's like, I just got this job. You know, I can't turn into a piece of shit on the first day. Right. You know, he's like, he's going he's gonna to wear a suit and tie to work that day and then back but, to the sweatpants. But I mean, here in the slate of Republican House members, especially the Freedom Caucus members that we've had in here over the last couple of weeks, Noah, especially, you know, today we had uh, Pat Fallon in here for the first time. It was great sitting down with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could really tell that there's a different tone to their voice. And I feel like they're all working together behind the scenes while they were on recess and in district a lot more than they usually have. So that was the Democrat side of the coin. Let's see the Republican side. Vapor locker extraordinaire Mitch Jeez. McConnell took to the Senate floor right after Senator Schumer to deliver his message in the most turtleiest of fashions. The worst turtle. Let's hear it. So as the Senate gets back to work in Washington... I'll keep these conversations and concerns in the forefront of my mind. (laughs) This month, of course, Congress needs to address our nation's most pressing needs with timely appropriations, and we need to keep the lights on come October 1st. Back in January, I pointed out that Washington Democrats, the new normal they faced, the American people had elected divided government and demanded that we work together on our most basic governing responsibilities. Well, as I've reminded our colleagues regularly since then, that meant funding the government through regular order. It's been encouraging to see Senator Collins, Senator Murray, and our colleagues on the Appropriations Committee make serious headway in that direction. He sounds horrible. Next week, we'll aim to pass the first batch of their work out here on the floor. I lost my word, there's original rapper. Mm. We've also made clear that the Senate's top priority must be keeping the American people safe. And this month we'll have a chance to do that with supplemental appropriations for urgent national security and disaster relief priorities. We need to continue to invest in America's defense industrial base, both to support our partners in today's fight and to help our forces deter tomorrow's threats. And as our colleagues from Florida and Hawaii know all too well, emergency personnel are working overtime to help communities shattered by natural disasters over the summer. So the Senate reconvenes with our work cut out for us and a deadline fast approaching. I hope each of our colleagues has returned ready to do their part. Hmm. Well, do their part. What part is that? According to them, it's keeping the government open. And all that does is kind of continue to give Joe Biden the green light to tout all of his crowning achievements like Bidenomics, uh, creating jobs, and being a legislative juggernaut. And until somebody figures out a way to 
crush that narrative, a la government shutdown, he's going to continue to do so and just pathologically lie about it on the campaign trail. So there's a little bit of what your Senate leadership is looking in to do. Oh, you know, the government's completely divided down the middle, but here we are working together, and the only thing that we care about is keeping the lights on. So the status quo can continue to just be that. Quote up. I don't like it. Nope. You know who else hates it? One of Missouri's fightingest senators, Josh Hawley. Nice. Never been a huge fan of Mitch McConnell. Was talking about how... Has anybody been a fan of Mitch McConnell? Ever? Well, yeah, all the senators who side with him in stopping America First legislation. Well, I mean real people. <laughs> well, he gets booed at public speaking events now, so mm-hmm. we're getting there. Uh, the, the Missouri senator had some choice words for uh, the turtle minority leader. Let's hear it. I think you can have it both ways. I mean, if you're concerned about the president's ability to do his job, and I am, and a lot of Republicans say they are, then you've got to be concerned when it's somebody from your own party, right? I mean, it can't be... Sauce for the goose, but not for the gander. Is he able to do the job? I mean, he, he's going to have to answer that question. Uh, do I think he should be a leader? No. There you go. Yeah. I don't think he should be either. And here's the thing. I've heard after Mitch McConnell, who was given a clean bill of health following his latest vapor lock incident. Who gave him that clean bill of health? Probably. One of uh, Biden's doctors that says he's good to go? One of Bi- Biden's scientists. Yeah. That Mitch McConnell's office kind of leaked out there that unless... The Democrats are looking real hard into figuring out a way to get Dianne Feinstein out of the Senate. Mitch McConnell is going to hear nothing about not only his health, but stepping down from any positions, whether it's Senate leadership or from his position as a senator. I think as soon as somebody starts showing just obvious signs of cognitive decline. I mean, you literally got people spoon feeding Dianne Feinstein applesauce on the Senate floor when she's taking votes, doing the airplane. (laughs) Like wiping her lips with a spoon. Oh, my God. And, and I mean, the stuff that's going on with Mr. McConnell, listen, what's going on with him health-wise, it's not a joke. It, it's funny to make fun of. The memes are absolutely fantastic. Everything from, like, me, the moment I get to the grocery store after my oh. wife gave me a long list, or somebody, <laughs> I think it was Edward Russell memes, put him in a car, and it's like when the light turns green and the person in front of you is not paying attention, it's just Mitch McConnell's frozen <laughs> in the car. They're fantastic, but... These are the people that are literally running our country right now. I just don't understand why that would not be just a reason to remove you. Like, I mean, I, everybody should agree. Like, you can't do the job if you're going to vapor lock. Like, that's that's a bad sign. And I get democra- democratically elected, blah, 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 and this, that, and the other thing. But we have to have some kind of safeguards in place. And uh, Yeah, term limits and age limits. There it is. Simple as that. And, and if you want to fight the age limits... We got to have a cognitive test and decide on what age yes. you start taking it at, and not by the fucking doctor that you pick, like a doctor that everybody agrees on. Yeah, everybody. That's gonna be tough. Well, I mean, you just have to have like a certain level of qualification and or shit. I don't know. So somebody like Doctor Nick, <laughs> Doctor Nick Riviera. Yeah. <laughs> hey everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Is there an impersonation you can't do? <laughs> Before we move on here, I want to remind everybody that's listening to the show today. Hopefully you're enjoying it. If you are, make sure you're downloading and subscribe to the show across every podcasting platform. That's Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. In addition to that, follow us on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow it, and hit the notification bell. I want to remind everybody we've got 
DC Young Republican Club National Committee woman, Kingsley Cortez, coming in here in just a bit. But before we do that, I do want to talk about something. I think it's really important that's going on in the Senate right now. We've touched on it here and there. Uh, Noah, who's our armed forces correspondent here on the show, in addition to all the other hats he wears. So right now we sit at 431 flagmen or generals who cannot be confirmed, including two joint chiefs, because of Senator Tommy Tuberville. Mm. And the fact that, here's the deal. The Secretary of Defense said, if you have a death in, in your immediate family and you're a serviceman or woman, right? Your mom dies. Your dad dies. Mm-hmm. God forbid. Yeah. You are getting charged leave and you are paying for your travel. Is that new? I don't think that's, I don't think that's how it's supposed to be. It is. <laughs> if you want an abortion, not only is it... Oh, it's all expenses paid, I'm sure. And you will have as much uncharged time off as you need. Yeah, that's uh, that's just catering to the woke delegation of the military that we have now. Senator Tuberville ran on a pro-life platform and said that he will not bend if appointed to Senate confirmations for military leadership on this issue. Joe Biden, who's running the wokest administration in the history of the galaxy right now, if you're not uh, diversity, equity, or... An inclusion hire? You're just some pronouns-laden, transgender dude in a skirt. which Literally. Is literally. Four-star admiral, etc. And, I, I, and I'd fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> Senator Tuberville has had enough. Yeah. Now, where people within the defense community and at the Pentagon are calling this a uh, direct threat internally to national security, I feel like it's something we need to do. Yes, because... The level that it's gotten to is counter counterintuitive to the military doing what it needs to do, which is be a lethal fighting force. Mm-hmm. We, we don't need... Not a lethal pronoun force? Well, I mean... <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I, just, I just popped into my head one of those like Navy commercials. A global force for pronouns. Did you see Ma- <laughs> It's Ma'am had another incident over the weekend? Oh, no. Yeah. What happened? Well, some guy was just caught it up coming out of a lady's restroom and let it know how he felt about it. And it started off with yelling and screaming and ended with it standing in the doorway saying, like, if you got a problem with it, let's, let's go outside and do something about it. It's like, man, I'm just trying to tell you. Wait, is it the same it's ma'am? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what did it say? Something about, like, if you want to treat me like a man, I'm going to beat, you like beat your ass like a man. <laughs> Basically de-evolved into that real quick. I don't, I don't think you're supposed to... Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to regress into your former self. It's like... I would have been like, that's not very ladylike. It's like, all right, listen, uh, Dr. Banner, why don't yeah. you chill out a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyways, uh, you know, talking with Senator Tuberville and, and listening to him about this stuff, it, it's just great to hear there's a man with moral convictions. A ma'am? No. <laughs> Do not associate him with pronouns because he does technology. No, I know, I know. Uh, you know, the former Clemson football coach has done a great job since becoming a senator. He's also a staunch advocate of America First and endorser of President Trump. Let's hear him talking about how his stance on this issue is not affecting national security. I'm not holding up any uh, uh, nominations from being approved. Uh, they can bring them one at a time to the floor. They have chosen not to do that. I've also talked to some of the nominees that's come through my office uh, through their posture hearings. 
they have already changed jobs. They're already doing the job. It's just they've got interim on their name. There's no threat to readiness. The people that we need to be really worried about are her colonels and majors and, and sergeants and privates. They're the people who get ready to fight wars. The yep. people up here in the Pentagon, I don't know what they do every day, but they're more of, <laughs> of uh, giving advice. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's just a surprise to me that, you know, these are all number one. They're Joe Biden civilian appointees, these secretaries of the Air Force, the Navy, the Army. And it, it disappoints me some of the language that they use because I am a United States senator. I would never say anything like that about them in the newspaper. This should not be played out in the newspaper. Uh, if you need to visit with me, call me or come see me. They know where I'm at and uh, they have not done that. I've not talked to any of them about this. It just goes to show you this is all propaganda that's been carried on by the Secretary of Defense and the President of the United States saying, y'all gotta start putting pressure on this on this senator. Uh, they don't know what pressure is. Wasn't there just like a shit ton of like Trump cabinet people that were all interim for a really long time? Well, yeah, we always have the uh, acting ICE director, Tom yeah, Holman, on the show, the acting attorney general, Matt Whitaker on the show. They were never able to be confirmed. And it was never a big deal. Like, we never made a huge fuss about the fact that they were acting. It's like, okay, just fucking go act. Do your job. Do you think it hurts military readiness? To deal with all this bullshit or just to have those people floating already doing their jobs? No, them floating and doing their jobs means nothing. It's just a title at that point. Yeah. So they have all the power, all the responsibility, all the influence, all the stuff that they need to do the job. It doesn't matter that they have a freaking quotes preface to their name. Like, it doesn't matter. Listen, every once in a while we sneak one in. And after his long and storied career as a uh, Division One college football head coach, Senator Tuberville was able to do just that. And once he got there, he said, hey, you just elected one of the biggest – populist, nationalist, pro-life, Christian men you could ever hope to. Pronouns. Never heard of her. <laughs> and, and and this is kind of, you know, you, you reap what you sow. Here's the thing. He also mentioned in that piece right there that they could send up these uh, potential confirmations on a one-by-one -one basis to be heard before the Senate, but they don't want to. Yeah, they want everybody to be paraded in in a big group, so you just have to say yes to everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and they don't want the people who are going for these promotional opportunities right now. Do God not, forbid they stand on merit. Well, they'd have to be able to say, I support charging people leave and making them pay for their own flights to fly back home when their parents pass away at the, in the same breath that I, I, I also support full-term abortions at a clinic of your choice and no leave charged for the same person. In the and then military. we put you up in a five-star hotel after, mm -hmm. basically. The equivalent of, that's ridiculous and disrespectful to all servicemen everywhere. Yeah. Servicemen and women. Yeah, I said men and women. Don't and that's it. Yourself. <laughs> One of the big things that both Senator Schumer and Mitch McConnell harped about while giving their speaking pieces on the Senate floor this week was the need to not only keep the government open, but to do so so we can continue to fund the war in Ukraine. This has also been the highlight of, since Bidenomics isn't working, the newest Joe Biden campaign video, which is just a whole bunch of his not fucked up sentences or falling down at speaking event items right there, uh, strung together with uh, around the trip he made to Ukraine earlier this year. Everybody that's fed up with 
us sending all this money to Ukraine when we obviously know that it's what it was like. What number was it in the most corrupt countries on the planet? The second or the fifth or something like that? Or third? I mm-hmm. forget. I don't remember exactly. Do you remember? Yeah, it's the, it's the second. I believe. The second most corrupt country on the fucking planet. And if people, regardless of what your political leanings are, like let's say for instance we're going to vote against sending all this money to Ukraine, you, you'd you? probably you'd probably line up and be like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's vote on it. Well, guess what? It's coming up, mm-hmm. and you got to vote for the Republican candidate, whoever that may be. Because, I mean, we're we're thinking it's going to be Trump, obviously. Yeah. But if you vote for a Democrat in this in this next coming run, while you're paying ten dollars for eggs and milk, you might as well just shoot yourself in the foot now. Yeah, you saw Joe Biden killed all the pre-existing uh, energy contracts they have in Alaska, effective essentially immediately. <laughs> yeah. So. You think six dollar gas is paying the ass right now? I saw somebody post. It's like, oh, good. I was I was really worried that California was going to be the only ones that had to pay six dollars a gallon for gas. Coming to a state near you, I filled up the other day, and I was like, why is it expensive again? Mm. I mean, it's always been. That's that's really the the incrementalism at work is that they bring it up an excessive amount, and then it goes down a little bit, like like when they do it during the summertime. Yep. Like, there's no reason. Like, oh, the summertime gas. Like what? Summer. I live in Cali- I live in California. There's no fucking summertime gas here. No. It, it doesn't matter. It's it's basically just like weaker gas, so you use more of it. But when they charge an excessive amount for the highest travel seasons, like there's no reason for it. It's just it's just literally just marketing and them just giving themselves money. True story. I saw the Joe Biden for re-election campaign co-chair Chris Coons, who was on with Wolf Blitzer yesterday, bragging about not only Binomics. And the amount of legislation that Joe Biden has been able to pass, but his stance on the war in Ukraine. Let's check it out. Is there any reason to think Biden's approval numbers will get better? There is. There's a new campaign ad out today. I hope you've seen it. Uh, It shows how President Biden made an unannounced visit uh, to a war zone, one not controlled by the United States. Uh, when he went to Kiev a number of months ago. Oh, First time Chicago. a president <laughs> in the modern era has gone to a war zone. He wasn't Philadelphia last week. And it does, in week. the background of the ad, describe that he left Washington at 4 a.m. He traveled 40 hours to get to Kiev. Slept it shows hours. him striding forcefully, having a pointed conversation with President Zelensky, oh. uh, fearlessly engaging oh. in Kiev. There's no fucking way that guy was, what, fiercely engaging? What did he just say? <laughs> Forcefully striding as well. Forcefully striding? Mm. That guy hasn't forcefully strode in 25 years. And Uh, unless it was him walking into walking into to sessions to be racist. Last name is goose stepping. I want to touch on this, Noah. I gotta get your opinion on this. You saw Joe Biden at the Medal of Honor ceremony the other day. So he he comes out and the first thing he says is that don't tell his doctors that he's not wearing a mask indoor again. Yep. Don't don't tell him what? Then he does a quick fumbled speech, pins the shit on the servicemen, and then just fucking gets gives, out of dodge and gives leaves them. Gives them the half a salute and then shuffles right out of the room before they could do like the closing prayer and the, the hail to the chief. The look on the guy's face because he stood there for a while and he held his composure and then like he caught he caught eyes with somebody in the crowd and just kind of gave him like the the Spock eyebrow <laughs> like what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> now listen, the Medal of Honor. That's a big deal. But it goes way above the person that pins it on you. Yeah. But when you talk about the blatant disrespect that Joe Biden has for our armed services, and I I have a couple inklings on on just to why that is. I'm going to be putting out a new Substack this weekend right before the 9-11 Memorial holiday uh, that's going to cover some of that. 
But here's the thing. I honestly think he was about to have a portal alert. A portal alert? Mm-hmm. Like poop his pants? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he was had a turtle head poking out? People were, like, trying to stop him as he was walking past, and he just shot right past the Secret Serviceman. And the guy, like, looked at the the Medal of Honor recipient and then looked back at the door and then just kind of, like, shrugged his shoulders and went in behind Baden. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing. Like, it was a very, it was two steps and, like, maybe 30 feet of walkway. And at some point, I'm sure somebody at least was like, oh, Mr. President, we're not finished yet. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, right before the benediction or something, right? I mean, I I Joe Biden walked past the priest going up on stage. Did he high-five him at least? (laughs) He bumped into him. (laughs) It was ugly. (laughs) So, I mean, I haven't watched a Medal of Honor recipient uh, ceremony. Mm Mm-hmm. In a while, but I would assume that everybody just stands up there and smiles for photos yeah. until it's fucking over, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, At that some would... point, the handlers come in and say, okay, thank you. We're going to be going on to whatever, yeah. the dinner or, you know, the, the whatever engagement afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shit show. So, you know, and, and that's kind of the week that was up on Capitol Hill. I feel like maybe they, on purpose, maybe told him to leave before the quote-unquote religious part started, maybe. That's a good point. But he just went over the top, like went way too soon. And and we're never going to know the answer to that, but we are going to uh, ask the question later, why is Joe Biden treated like a baby? Literally. Like with diapers? We're getting ready to jump in with Kingsley Cortez right now, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, she does a little digital media at the Center for Renewing America. She's also the National Committee Woman for the D.C. Young Republicans. Always happy to sit down with the lovely Miss Kingsley Cortez. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Great to be with you. Busy week. Looking to be a busy weekend as well. I know uh, you're probably excited to see... President Trump's got a stacked travel schedule this weekend with uh, stops in South Dakota today to have a little rally with Governor Nome, and then tomorrow he'll be in Iowa for a head-to-head matchup with Ron DeSantis at the Iowa-Iowa State game. What do you think, checking out uh, all the stuff that's going on with 45 as he's looking to make it 47? Yeah, I'm excited to see them sort of go head-to-head in their own kind of tailgate rivalry this weekend. I think it'll be exciting to watch, you know, different coverage of it. Um, In addition to coverage of the football game itself, I think, you know, Iowa is a state that Ron DeSantis is really kind of putting all of his eggs in that basket, right? He's reoriented a lot of his campaign spending towards Iowa. His Never Back Down pack has said that they're going to reinvest in a lot of Iowa campaigning. And I think that, you know, for Donald Trump, that is kind of non, it's a non-threatening preposition, I think, because DeSantis is not gaining in Iowa. He's banking on it, and a poll commissioned by his own pack has him down there. He's polling at 22%. Trump is polling at 45% in Iowa. So I think, you know, Trump knows that he is heading into this game, uh, into this weekend, with a lot of momentum behind him. We saw just last week that a super PAC, you know, Ron to the rescue, closed after donors decided to pull out, and their founder said, you know, He just thought the governor's campaign was guilty of a lot of rookie mistakes. He said that he's going to reorient his support behind former President Trump. So, you know, I think it's obvious that Trump is the guy to beat. He is the one that's ahead. No one can really catch him. Everyone should be dropping out 
backing Donald Trump, getting on this MAGA train. We have a lot to do to fix this country. It's going to take all of us. And I think it's clear at this point that DeSantis isn't having any fun either, right? It's totally obvious. He hates being out there on the campaign trail. He's awkward. Um, he's difficult to watch. He's not captivating or persuasive in any way. And I think it's interesting because, you know, recently we had this Florida hurricane um, and DeSantis handled it well. When he gave pressers on the hurricane, he looked confident. He looked in charge. It was almost a different person than we see on the presidential campaign trail. So, you know, some people have a ceiling and perhaps governor is his. One thing is clear, though, he's not fit to be president of this United States. No, that's absolutely it right there. And when you. Yeah, awkward and hard to watch is an understatement. And sweaty. Very (laughs) sweaty. So. mm, Well, I mean, hurricane bad is, is, is easier to pull off than Trump bad. Well, that's true. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the difficult fights, DeSantis has difficulty landing the punches. Like you said, he's awkward to watch. He's not confident. He's not, you know, someone that's going to deliver a knockout punch to anybody in this presidential primary. You saw it on the debate stage. I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy just wiped the floor with him. Total outsider with no political experience. So I think it's become very clear, very evident to voters, to donors, clearly, even ones that support DeSantis, that he is not the guy. Certainly isn't. And, uh, you know, when listen, if the scoreboard operator at the stadium on Saturday was a real guy, they would obviously have Donald Trump up on the jumbotron, wait for the applause, and then go over to Ron DeSantis, see what happens, and then go back and forth, back and forth, try to get a rise out of the crowd because uh, – I went back and looked at some videos the last time he was in Iowa at a sporting event, and it was pretty wild. Uh, and that was, that was like outsider candidate Trump. Now it's going to be, right. you know, former President Trump where, listen, a lot of his public speaking events look exactly the same, and it's that the people really like the fact that he's showing up there. So I think if, especially if there's a big America first component to that crowd uh, who's very protective of President Trump and, and not really uh, showing much mercy to the people who are running against them, it could get ugly pretty fast. So... Now, Kingsley, when you see President Trump is heading up to South Dakota today to, to meet with Governor Noam, does that get any of your uh, vice presidential juices flowing? Uh, you know, we tried to look at it from a sensible angle here on Steak for Breakfast for, for over a year now, maybe even a year and a half. I said that Christy Noam was probably going to be at least a finalist, if not the pick for the vice president, for a multitude of reasons. You know, she's been a governor for a couple terms. She's got a pretty good track record on America First. She was obviously ahead of the curve in the face of natural disasters, like things like wildfires. She's been down to the southern border a bunch of times. She was way ahead of the curve on people like Ron DeSantis and during the pandemic, never locking down her state. Uh, she's put out a national ad campaign recently. Looks like she's had a little work done as well, even though she's you know an attractive governor for a woman of her age. But the fact of the matter is we're, we're heading into the time where I think the Trump campaign even as soon as after the first five primaries is going to take a hard pivot towards the general election. I mean, President Trump is already hitting Joe Biden, but as far as campaigns go, you got to start the primaries before you can even get to the general. So do you think that she's a, a candidate that he's probably looking at? It just seems like, a you know, South Dakota, not a first five state, not a Super Tuesday state, uh, to, to just have a rally with an old friend at a place where Donald Trump had a magnificent rally uh, back when he did the Mount Rushmore fireworks extravaganza mm-hmm. there. But uh, what do you think? You know, I think she's absolutely a contender. I think you're correct. She's on the short list. And I think she deserves to be there. Like you said, DeSantis likes to run around and tout, you know, his COVID record and how he tackled medical tyranny. But in reality, Christy Nome's record 
far surpasses anything DeSantis accomplished. She stared in the face of the CDC, um, the NIH, Dr. Fauci, and told all of these people, we're not doing this in South Dakota. And she did that alone. So she deserves a lot of credit for that. I think she's done fantastic stuff for her state as governor. Um, I do think, you know, she did flip flop a little bit. Um, on the women's sports transgender issue a while back. Right. Um, but I think, you know, she course corrected on that. She definitely listens to the voters. She listens to the base and the people. And, you know, I think she would be a strong vice presidential candidate. My personal pick would be um, J.D. Vance. I'm just a huge fan of him. I think Ohio is a much more important state. I think we're going to need help, especially with Midwestern voters. That was something that was an issue area for Trump in 2020. I think, you know, in 2016, those votes were just overwhelmingly in Trump's corner. And we kind of took those votes for granted. We thought those folks would come out for Trump again. You know, the, the people who had had their jobs shipped overseas to China, they loved Trump trade deals, things of that nature. But ultimately, they stayed home in 2020. So I think, you know, reactivating those people, reinvigorating them and getting them out is going to be really critical in 2024. And I think that J.D. Vance can do just that. Um, he was one of the few individuals to really kind of throw down the gauntlet um, at his opponents during the 2022 midterms, which were largely, largely disappointing. So he would be my personal pick, but you know, I would be very happy with Christy Nome. I think she's fantastic. Um, and I think she could do a lot of good in that vice presidential spot. No, I agree with you. And, and you want to know what I put out an editorial a couple weeks ago because I saw some people starting to formulate like their top fives or top threes. And the first thing that I did was start off in a perfect world. These would be my top five, you know, and, and people like J.D. Vance and Carrie Lake, if, if we didn't have to worry about the partisanship of politics and you could just take the best two people who America first loved and put them at the top of the ticket with President Trump, it would definitely be somebody like that. I think J.D. Uh, Vance's placement, you know, in the Rust Belt and, 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 you know, right outside of the Blue Wall states, in addition with his foreign policy experience being a veteran, I think it would be amazing and, and something that adds to President Trump. But we, we live in such a, a partisan where they demonize everything that America First does. If you took someone that was similar in, in, in stature to Donald Trump and you put him on the ticket with him, it just it doesn't widen the tent in today's political field. You know, it would be amazing for us, but that's just the way it is. Kingsley, I see that, uh, you know, the Senate reconvened this week and we've got the House of Representatives getting ready to come back. A lot of our favorites in America First uh, getting ready to head up to Capitol Hill next week. We've had a slate of them come through the show recently. People like Wesley Hunt, Corey Mills, Mike Collins, who all have kind of, you know, trumpeted the same messaging here. Kevin McCarthy hasn't done enough. They are fearful of him folding, and they're not going to take it anymore. Now, they know that Congress is a numbers game, and on a good day, there's 30, 35 America First voters, but it's usually around 18 to 20. What do you think heading back into Congress in the start of appropriation season is going to be like something that we can talk about forecasting uh are the house republicans especially some of the america first ones going to pick up any w's here i certainly hope so and i think in order to do that they need to come out swinging starting monday they need to be aggressive they need to be pushing pressuring mccarthy and these more you know establishment kind of squish republicans to not give in to what the dc cartel wants them to do to pass you know spending that doesn't serve the american people's interests that continues to fund these organizations and agencies that are totally woke, totally weaponized against them. Um, so, you know, I think motion to vacate has to be on the table. I think all options need to be on the table. And I want to see America first firebrands in Congress start to talk about the motion to vacate. That's a tool that they have in their toolbox. And, you know, I think that 
it in many ways can be retribution, right? McCarthy violated the power sharing agreement that all of the 20 fought for, you know, and we had the speaker fight in passing the debt deal. He passed a $4 trillion debt deal that was a slap in the face to hardworking Americans who are just being completely obliterated by this Biden inflation. He's been squirming on releasing January 6 tapes in their entirety. He doesn't want to do it. He hasn't subpoenaed Hunter Biden, even though there's endless evidence to do so. He's kind of reluctant, it seems, perhaps, to impeach Biden and move that effort forward. So, you know, I think it's time for conservatives in Congress to use the levers of power they have to crush the radical left's agenda. And I think McCarthy just isn't that guy. He's kind of Mr. Nice Guy. He wants things to go on as they always have. He is not a rebel rouser. And we need someone like that right now because we are truly at risk of losing our country. So I want to see motion to vacate um, happen or at least begin to be talked about um, in the House Freedom Caucus and just among our allies that we have on the Hill. Um, And I hope they do that because I got to tell you, I talk to grassroots activists. I talk to regular Americans who are watching this stuff and they almost have, as I do, you know, battered wife syndrome with the Republicans we have in Congress. I feel that I made endless promises. I'm told, you know, just around the corner, things are going to change and they never do. So I think it's time for Republicans in Congress to step up and to actually, you know, put their money where their mouth is. No, that's, that's an excellent point. You know, I I know somebody like uh, Matt Gates is looking forward to at least examining for as much as Kevin McCarthy wants to examine on whether or not we need to start an inquiry into Joe Biden for impeachment, Matt Gates wants to start the same kind of inquiry into uh, whether or not we need to have a motion to vacate. And I know so because I talked about it on our Tuesday edition of the show. Matt was trolling McCarthy on on, on Twitter or X last week, and, and I put a motion to vacate comment <laughs> in, in his comment section, and he liked and shared it. So at least I know it's at the, the front of his mind. Matt Gates pulls no punches. So, you know, it's one of those things where he's one of our absolute strongest fighters up there, and I'm looking forward to see. After talking to all these congressmen over the course of the last couple of weeks, I, I, I feel more optimistic about them heading back up to the Hill than I usually do, and uh, they weren't as pessimistic as, as uh, you know, I thought they might be after taking some major L's heading into the recess uh, back in June and July. Kingsley, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's really important. We always like to talk about the things that you guys do outside of just providing commentary on some of the national and geopolitical issues on the show. I think it's really important for our listenership to get engaged with all the guests we have on, as most of them are. You know, people that are are touchable, not physically, but, you know, they will provide you with information if you reach out to them, much like people uh, like yourself do. And here we are, you know, you guys have done such amazing work kind of refurbing, refitting, Making Great Again, the Washington, D.C. Young Republican Club. But recently I, I saw a little spat online where, where some of the guys who are, uh, you know, in other states and part of, like, you know, the, the national group for young Republicans put out a, I guess you can call it internal poll, where it showed the choice among young Republicans would be Ron DeSantis over Donald Trump in the presidential election. Now, it, what I want our listenership to understand is how – all of these clubs aren't the same. They're not great like the ones that you guys have there in Washington, D.C. They're not great like the ones that Gavin, you know, runs up in New York City. And what our listenership could do, especially if they maybe belong to a club that is not America First or wants to get involved with the young Republican clubs across the country, and how getting engaged at this point of the game is probably more important than ever before. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, the totally fake and rigged poll that came out of the National Young Republicans Convention just a couple weeks back in Dallas. Um, This was a poll, you know, that 
was still live weeks after the fact. It was totally unprotected. Anyone could vote in the poll. You know, they didn't have to be a member of the national YRs. Um, they could vote multiple times. It was a total disaster. So to say that, you know, this definitively shows that the youth Republican vote is backing DeSantis is just totally fictitious. And and the leadership of the young Republicans nationally, sadly, is very Republican rhino. It's very establishment. It's not MAGA. It's not pro-Trump. Um, the newly elected president, Hayden Padgett, is in fact a BLM-loving moron um, who, you know, doesn't care for patriotic populism or nationalism or any of the things that the base is really kind of fighting for and trying to push um, establishment folks who have been in this game for far too long and are out of ideas and, and done fighting. We're trying to push these folks out. And sadly, the, the organization, the YRs nationally just represents everything that we're fighting against. So, you know, I would say if you're in a young Republican club that you feel is, you know, maybe a little bit neoconservative, a little bit dated, doesn't really represent the ideals of true conservatism, it's not fighting to actually conserve anything, talk to the membership. There are a lot of people, I guarantee, that think just like you. This is how we took over the DCYRs. It was almost kind of a whisper movement. Um, we had folks that felt, you know, that the way the club was portraying itself was playing it safe, was afraid to invite speakers like Matt Gates or like MTG or Lauren Boeber. We felt that that was totally misaligned with where the party is a, as a whole and where the movement is as a whole. So we kind of started talking to each other and just saying, hey, do you agree? We found, you know, a large coalition and we were able to oust the leadership that was old and tired of the club and to reinstitute it as an America first club for patriots. So I think, you know, that model can be tried all over the country. I think that there are individuals that are creative enough, driven enough, passionate enough about what we are fighting for to do just that. Um, and I will say too, you know, these YR clubs, they are not totally on board with the 2016 revolution. They don't, what they don't understand is that that cannot be undone, right? What Trump unleashed, what he exposed of the deep state, the corruption that festers in Washington, D.C., and how much our coastal elites dislike those of us who live in the heartland, that you can't put that genie back in a bottle. So I think these YR clubs, if they fail to recognize that and fail to adapt to this new climate, they're going to fade in influence and membership if they don't get with that program. So, you know, I think that the YRs are going to see that as more and more America First Patriots take over clubs across the country, just as NYYRC did, just as we did with the DCYR. So my message to those folks is just keep fighting. Yeah, and reach out because, you know, people like Gavin, uh, Ben Geller, Paul Ingracia, they say every time, get involved, get activated, and, and get the people who represent you at the clubs. If they're not on board, then reach out to these other ones who are more America first, the people like Kingsley over in the D.C. office or, or, or Gavin and the gang up in New York City. I know they got a great club down in South Florida as well. And Listen, it's going to take a team, but I always say it. The work that the young Republicans are doing in this election cycle cannot be matched. It's one of the silent majority demographics that we don't talk about enough. And the way that they're starting to get connected on a national level, it's really refreshing to see. We're going to have so many different people engaged in this election cycle for America First that we haven't had before. And, and, and that's something that you just can't produce anywhere else. Kingsley, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. We're obviously linking the uh, Center for Renewing America and, and the club in the show description. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? 
please follow me. I'm at Kingsley Cortez with an S on all of the platforms, put out a lot of content, you know, talking about what we're doing at the center and what we're doing with the DC Young Republicans. So please give me a follow. Always working hard and always champion for America First. She's doing digital media over at the Center for Renewing America, and she's the National Committee Woman for the Washington, D.C. Young Republicans. Ms. Kingsley-Cortez, thanks for coming on the show. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. You too. I fully support cutting off certain funding for various groups. I mean, the FBI is out of control, completely corrupt, uh, slow walking this Hunter Biden investigation. Uh, we see that they intervene to shut down uh, people on Facebook and Twitter and uh, now X or whatever it is. But also, you know, the, the laptop. I mean, they shut down uh, the New York Post and Miranda Devine's bombshell uh, disco discovery of the ha laptop from hell, the Hunter Biden's laptop, which, by the way, is true. You know, those 51 intelligence agents all are getting sued. They should be charged. And then we have a Department of Justice under, I think, the most corrupt uh, attorney general we ever had. I call him a dirty cop, Merrick Garland, for what he's been doing, not prosecuting uh, people like uh, and, and, and allowing the investigations to go forward. I mean, we have incredible evidence in plain sight. This evidence is in plain sight. It's not like the Nixon era where, you know, there were some people that worked for Nixon that committed a crime and then he covered it up. This is the Bidens committing crimes in plain sight and him engaged in the cover-up using the FBI and the DOJ, and they're all willing parties to this. I think they all need to go. I've actually called for the impeachment of Merrick Garland because he's sort of the head of the snake. That will allow us to continue with the investigations. Uh, Attorney General, who's been named Special Prosecutor Weiss, should be recused himself and step down. He's already proven that he can't do this investigation. He's been part of this, this phony Hunter Biden deal. So those are priorities, of course, and we can use the power of the purse. Uh, but, uh, you know, the problem is, uh, you, you know, we've got to get all five, all of our Republican members, all but five, or we have a, a slim majority to, to agree to this, or we have to bring some Democrats over. We need to go into impeachment right now. I know that people are reluctant and some people in so-called swing districts, but look, we voted for H.R. 1, which is critically important, having to deal with energy. If we can't uh, vote for impeachment of a guy who's blatantly corrupt, and we have the evidence out there between the work that's being done by, you know, the Oversight Committee under Comer, uh, what we're seeing in the Justice uh, Committee or the uh, the. Justice Committee under um, the Judiciary Judiciary Committee. I'm sorry, I keep losing my mind here. Uh, Judiciary Committee under Jim Jordan. We're seeing all this evidence. Plus, you know, Senator Grassley released the evidence from the FBI informant. You have all this information. It's it's not like it's it's not there. It's there, but the 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 Biden administration under Merrick Garland are doing everything and they can to slow walk. It's the truth, and, and that's New York Congresswoman Claudia Tenney right there. Looks like she's all in as a vote for America First in regards to things like impeachment and investigations and inquiries and the infighting amongst house republicans is really starting to ramp up as they're getting ready to head back up to capitol hill next week and i think it's uh definitely healthy for the process i think it's something that needs to be extremely public and i don't see anything but good coming out of it because we need to expose these people when you look at some of the developments that are just breaking today in regards to President Trump and, and some of the stuff going on with him legally. I don't know if you've heard, Noah, this just broke throughout the course of the show. So the grand jury in regards to the Georgia election RICO case now wants to charge three sitting U.S. senators in being collaborators in trying to overthrow the republic. Really? Yes. Sounds unreasonable. And while the investigations into people like Joe Biden and his son Hunter 
um, are continuing to ramp up ahead of the Republican House set to return next week, this is the news that they kind of throw in front of you to distract it, which means there must be some kind of a bombshell coming down the pike about Joe Biden because it's Friday afternoon. It's the end of the business day on the East Coast already. Still late morning here on the West Coast. I did see the real-life Mr. Garrison get caught in a parking lot <laughs> and asked for a comment about this. Try not to hit the button too many times, but let's get a take from Lindsey Graham on this breaking news. This is troubling for the country. We can't criminalize senators doing their job when they have a constitutional requirement to fulfill. It would be irresponsible for me, in my opinion, as chairman of the committee, not to try to find out what happened. We're opening up Pandora's box here. That was brand new reaction from Senator Lindsey Graham just moments ago after learning the grand jury in former President Trump's Georgia elections case wanted to charge him. That detail is one of many now public after the judge released the grand jury's final report. Senior correspondent Jonathan Seri is live for us in Atlanta. We don't need to hear that. We could talk about it on the show. Mm. Noah, I, I posted yesterday on, on X, I zizzered, as you so... <laughs> I forgot about zizzering. Jokingly put it, I mean, it's almost perfect to say when you're talking about Lindsey Graham, who we refer to as the real-life Mr. Garrison, you would think we'd have a button for that. Oh! That we could play it through all the way. Oh! Scissor me timbers! <laughs> <laughs> so the man who heads the committee into investigating these things is now... They wanted to charge him with RICO charges because he thought that the election was rigged and stolen as well. You get RICO for that? You know, a lot of people give President Trump shit for his alliance with Lindsey Graham. And listen, we hate him just as much as the next person in America first. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump brags that he brings in the Democrats and independents. But it's also standing like this with Donald Trump is part of the reason... Lindsey Graham's a piece of shit, but when it comes to how he feels about certain things, he, he has integrity for it. And, and, and in regards to the lawfare that's being waged against President Trump, he's been very outspoken against it. And, you know, that means something in the business world, and I think that's where Donald Trump takes it from. I did see that uh, Mike Johnson was talking about some of this stuff regarding the real there there. The investigation into Joe Biden, separating him completely from the stuff that was going on with Hunter. I, I don't know if you heard also this week, Noah, so the special counsel, right, which has had their investigation, not the special counsel itself, but the Delaware Attorney General has been investigating Hunter Biden for over five years now. Five years. So Weird. Now that everybody's been complaining for the last couple of weeks that they've essentially done nothing while Donald Trump's already in court, has decided that by September 29th they will charge Hunter Biden with a felony related to lying on his gun application, not for any of the FARA violations or the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of taxes he hasn't paid. So just throwing a bone to everybody like, okay, we're going to convict him on something. We're mm -hmm. going to charge him. So five years, nothing. And now 30 days or less because everybody's bitching about it. I mean, I'm surprised that we're going to give him five. True story. Let's hear Rep. Mike Johnson weighing in on the DOJ and other federal agencies who are blocking House-led investigations into the Biden crime syndicate. 
Yes, they are impeding all of our investigations in the House, and that comparison is is an important one. Uh, you go all the way back to the Nixon years, but what we're seeing right now, to your point, David, is unprecedented. There has never been a level of politicization and weaponization of the Department of Justice itself than what we're seeing right now. It's staggering. You know, the House Judiciary Committee that I serve on, the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, Oversight, Ways and Means, every one of our investigations uh, have they've stood in the way of, and you have federal agencies trying to protect the president. We have to, I believe, I'm on record now saying we have to move to the stage of an impeachment inquiry because that allows us an, a newer and higher level of authority so that we can get the documents that we need that they've been trying to hide from us. You know, and, and Mike also sits as the vice chair for the GOP conference as well. So someone that's been in leadership for a long time, not very outspoken on a lot of the issues because he'd rather, you know, his work happened within committee and in the case of the weaponization committee subcommittee. Uh, but there, that was him on Fox business yesterday, kind of talking about, it's been a shitty recess for him and, and the, and the people on oversight and the judiciary, because when it comes to the IRS, when it comes to the FBI and the DOJ, when it comes to NARA, they've been stonewalling the house led investigations into the documents and, and other things they want to see regarding Joe Biden's connectivity tissue to Hunter Biden and his international business dealings. James Comer was kind of in the same thread talking about emails and lack thereof that they've been able to get their hands on. But from what they've heard so far, things are getting pretty spicy. Let's hear it. Where do you stand on these subpoenas from the National Archives? Well, the archives are saying that uh, th because it happened during the Obama administration, that Barack Obama uh, will have 30 days to review all 5,400 of these emails in the pseudonyms. Mm. And then he will decide whether or not he's going to turn it over to the House Oversight Committee. So your guess is as good as mine. But <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, we believe that many of these that were using the pseudonyms also had redactions that pertain to things about Hunter Biden, even redacting the the fact that he was copied on these. So what Joe Biden's always said and the mainstream media has always gone along with is that, well, there was no, why are you going, why are you investigating Hunter Biden? He wasn't a part of the government and Joe Biden had a firewall between the government and, and his son. That's not true. Mm. We've proven that in the last two weeks. There are emails that went back and forth where Hunter's legal team was telling Joe Biden how to spin the narrative about the corruption he got caught in. Mm. There was copies where he was copied about Ukraine foreign policy. And we believe there are many more emails that the National Archives is sitting. Mm. Now, Noah, you're our forensic pseudonym expert here on the show. Forensic pseudonym? Yeah. <laughs> when he, just to refresh our audience, when, when, when Jamie Comer mentions those emails where Joe Biden used pseudonyms to mask himself apparently from being involved in these international business dealings what exactly is he talking about so he's not he's not using joseph robinette basement jr i mean it's basically just an admission of him most likely doing something he knows he's not supposed to be doing as a government representative so he could use something like harry handjob harry handjob or joe dickhead or whatever <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned handjobs because I know you probably saw at least excerpts from the exclusive the other day. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I go, on, I go on X, formerly Twitter, and I'm like, why is Coke-fueled BJs trending? Coke-fueled BJs. Oh, man. So, and, and the only reason I bring it up, it's not really pertinent to anything here on the show. It's definitely a mouthful, to say the least. 
No pun intended. But Barack Obama is going to have the opportunity, if he wants to, to overlook these close to 5,400 emails where Joe Biden used a pseudonym to mask himself from participation in Hunter Biden's business dealings. And in that case, then decide whether or not he wants to turn them over to the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees. All about that. Isn't it weird? A former president could just review documents to decide with, like, essentially the wave of a hand to classify or unclassify them? Where have I heard that that's a thing before recently? Uh, or legally not a thing, right? Or not a thing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> weird. I don't know. I, 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 I was watching something, and somebody was supposing that, you know, Barack Obama's just going to own this, and then he's just going to be the champion of the alphabet Nazis. <laughs> what happens with Big Mike then? Well, is it going to happen? Then Big Mike would be the next presidential candidate. <laughs> a fourth Obama term, you mean? Yeah. We can't. We shan't have it. Bigger, longer, and uncut. <laughs> <laughs> You're not talking about Big Mike part dude. <laughs> or part dude in this case. Oh, there it's you too go. much. It's too much. Jamie Comer jumped on with well, Fox News. That's not what Obama said. Boomer sweat, Sean Hannity last night, to discuss some of the subpoenas that are going out when House Republicans return to the Hill next week. Remember, we're formulating criminal investigations here. We don't want milk toast impeachments. We want things that are going to stick. Claudia Tenney alluded to the fact that she'd like to go after Merrick Garland, someone who's been equally complicit as her and Joe Biden. I feel during this administration, no, I know you've got no love for embattled DHS Secretary Ali. Alejandro Mayorkas. Do we got any photos of him in his tennis shorts? You know what? You should look it up right now. Alejandro Mayorkas, Beverly Hills High School Tennis. While you do that, let's hear Jamie Comer on Boomer Sweats last night. Here with now with a preview of what can be expected next week and beyond House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer. Can you explain why this DOJ official James Comer met with the attorney for Gary Shapley before he testified before Congress in light of the letter that uh, Mr. Shapley said he had information to give Congress, which is oversight, which is your committee, which is, of course, uh, uh, other committees as well. Can you explain the purpose of that and then turning around immediately thereafter and going right to, to Hunter Biden's attorneys? Uh, that would seem like they tipped him off to me. Absolutely. That's what it looks like, and that's what happened. And we have instance after instance throughout this whole investigation to where we've uncovered more information about where the IRS investigation into Hunter Biden, which, as we've heard from the IRS whistleblowers, was leading directly to Joe Biden, was obstructed. And I can tell you from uh, my experience over the past nine months leading this investigation of Biden's, uh, all the influence peddling schemes, that we've been obstructed at every turn, not only by the Biden attorneys, but also by the Department of Justice, by Homeland Security now. We've been obstructed by the media. We've been obstructed by Democrats on the House Oversight Committee, the FBI, and the list goes on and on. But we're still able to produce evidence, new evidence every week that no one knew beforehand. And I believe all this evidence that we've gathered, we're finally starting to piece it together and put together a timeline. And what we're finding is very concerning about the current president of the United States. And I you know, I keep thinking, we, we were just joking about Big Mike. 
Obviously, we're talking about Michelle Obama there. Big Mike! It's getting pretty close to Joe Biden not being able to be the nominee next time. It, it, I, I just don't know how. Th- they're obviously going to have him as the front runner, and they're, everybody's going to say that they're all on board behind him. But there's no fucking way that any sane person would vote for him. And I can say that because I know how many non-sane people there are on the other side. Because there, I still see people every occasionally with a bumper sticker. With a mask along in their car. And over the vents? Not at the vents. I haven't seen that. I wish I could see that in person. Well, I have the picture. And I've I, seen the picture, yeah. I actually did send it to Dr. Ben Carson. What did he say? And him and his scheduler, Joanna, had quite the <laughs> laugh over it. So, you know, it's great. Actually, President Trump sat down with, with Ben Carson, and they did a little fireside chat this week. And uh, hopefully we'll be doing a little bit of the same in the near future as well. Nice. I want to remind everybody, wherever they're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're subscribed and downloading the show. Helps us out in the algorithms, helps us out in the suggestion, and, of course, just helps the show in general. In addition to that, all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. All right, I've got one more clip coming in here before we sit down with former congressional candidate and uh, now decorated veteran, J.R. Majewski. Great to be catching up with him again soon. So we played the good, but there's also the bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the Joe Biden bad. I'm talking about the bad within our own party, the things that prevent us from having the nice things because we just can't have them. Ken Buck, who also sits on the House Judiciary Committee, is one of the people that's supposedly leading this investigation into what's going on with Joe Biden and just how involved he was with his kids. He's not as optimistic as... Jamie Comer and Jim Jordan are on this investigation going anywhere and leading up to things that include impeachment. It's a little disheartening to hear, but listen, if we weren't playing you the receipts, we'd just be sitting here cheerleading. Let's check it out. I wanted to get your take on your colleague, Congressman Matt Gates, saying he is prepared to force a floor vote on impeaching President Biden. And if Speaker McCarthy blocks the effort, he is threatening to make a motion to oust Speaker McCarthy. What do you think of that? Well, I think I think Speaker McCarthy has said a number of uh, times that he wants to bring a vote on the impeachment inquiry, not necessarily the impeachment, but the impeachment inquiry. Uh, so I think he and, and Congressman Gates are on the same page there. I don't think that there is a, an appetite right now for a motion to vacate uh, really? Speaker McCarthy. I think mm. that uh, we have three committees that are working very hard on uncovering evidence of Hunter Biden's wrongdoing. Uh, they are looking to see if there is a connection with Joe Biden. If they reach that point where they can find evidence of a connection, uh, fine. I think the Republicans will move forward with an impeachment inquiry. Right now, I'm not convinced that that evidence exists, and I'm not supporting an impeachment inquiry. That's within the Republican caucus. Perfect. Caucuses. Caucus I? <sighs> Whose white baby is that? <laughs> Oh, man. Listen, I wish I could make it up. I wish it was better, Uh, but that's just kind of where we're at. The infighting is heating up between House Republicans before they even get back to the Hill next week, and I am really interested to see if we are going to finally get a different result than what we've had the past couple of sessions. We're getting ready to jump in with Jared Majewski right now, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. 
Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a veteran, nuclear energy industry leader, former congressional candidate who ran in Ohio 9, and he knows a little thing or two about making front yards great again. So happy to sit down with and always love when Mr. J.R. Majewski joins us on the show. J.R., thanks for coming back. Love to be here, guys. Thank you. It's been too long. We're glad to have you in here. And uh, busy Friday. Got a lot of movement going on within the uh, Trump campaign. I know you follow just as much as we do. He's going to be in South Dakota tonight with uh, Governor Christy Nome, which I'm excited for because I think that she's a solid candidate for vice president. And then he's going to be heading down to Iowa tomorrow. Got a little head-to-head matchup with uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at the Iowa-Iowa State game. What do you think about uh, the moves and shakes that President Trump's been doing and how he's looking heading into the weekend? You know, I think he's running a fabulous campaign. It's good to see, um, you know, the great folks that are around him, specifically those that were with him in 2016 that are that are now back. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a, a a game changer for him. There's a reason why he's up in the polls so high now compared to where he was in 2020. I mean, he was still winning, but now it's you know it's there. There's no question, and um, I think there's a lot of uh, still a lot of opportunity for redemption for him, and. Um, yeah, I have no doubt that that he's going to be the nominee and win the presidency, and I I think the country deserves it just as much as he does. Uh, we definitely, if we don't deserve it, we 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 one hundred percentedly need it, and 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 I like where you went with that. So listen, Jr. There's been a lot of uh, news that's been updated since you uh, got out of the congressional race, especially regarding your military service. We knew that the person you ran against in the election last time is, uh, you know, a longstanding House member who's just an absolute disaster and, and, and ran a disinformation campaign about you and your military service, two things that should never be, I'm just going to say it, frankly, fucked with. And yeah. uh, now that you guys have gotten to the bottom of everything and exposed it all, I want you uh, personally to kind of update our listenership on just where you're at with uh, all that stuff. Yeah, so I fought pretty hard against the... Uh the establishment uh, found out after the the um, the election that uh, an opposition research firm illegally obtained my records, um, despite you know pleas from different people and, and attempts to kind of keep me quiet. I kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing, and Matt Gates and Anna Paulina Luna led an investigation through Congress. Um, then I you know I continued every week, sometimes multiple times during the week, contacting the Air Force, petitioning them to update my records. And just this month, actually just last month. So a couple of days ago, um, my, uh, records were updated and I was awarded the global war on terrorism expeditionary medal, which puts to bed all the accusations that were levied against me, um, from the democratic party and, and Marcy captor. And, you know, I think that, uh, if you look back, there's some things that are ironic and some things that are, that are not. And number one, um, you know, McCarthy and the NRCC pulled money for my campaign money that I, 
critically needed. Uh, I was winning in you know the race against this incumbent uh, going into uh, September, and um, without this this hit piece, if I would have had the money to fight back, you know I could be a congressman right now. And um, you know when McCarthy was fighting for the gavel, there was one Democrat that raised their hand and said, you know I'll vote for McCarthy for speaker, and that was my opponent. She's also the chair of the Ukrainian caucus, right? So there, there's just a lot of things going on. J.B. Pritzker funded her campaign. He's got ties into Jeffrey Epstein. And my district's one of the top five uh, areas in the world for child trafficking. And you know, there's just a lot of connections that can be made. And uh, so here I am today with a cleared record. And um, I was at Bedminster not that long ago, um, President Trump invited me to uh, watch the premiere of Sound of Freedom. And then within 48 hours of me watching or being there, you know, the House leadership rallied around some country club conservative candidate that, uh, you know, I beat the hell out of last last year in the primary. So there's a concerted effort to keep me out of the race. Um, but I can tell you that the grassroots folks here, the base of uh, of the 9th District of Ohio absolutely loves me. And um, they want me to get back in. So, you know, I'm working what I can and, and working the contacts that I can because um, I, I can't go into this battle again alone because it was pretty obvious that um, when the smoke cleared, you know, not many people were willing to, to stand there with you shoulder to shoulder. So, you know, patriotism is a lonely game and I'm willing to do it. Boy, am I willing to do it. Uh, I just need to I just need to make sure that uh, I got my ducks in a row. And that's the thing. I, just to clarify now, it sounds like you you are more than interested about getting back in this race. I I, I do know who you're talking about the the establishment candidate that uh you know House leadership has gotten behind. Neither here nor there. You'd absolutely destroy them in the primary. It's just heading into that general election cycle. You would need the financial and 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 the the physical presence of you know members of the, of the House of Representatives and anyone else who's you know stumping hard to get these candidates over the finish line. And, and it's funny, you know, our listenership is really in tune with this, JR. We've had a lot of great members of the freshman class, House Freedom Caucus members in the show the last couple of weeks. Wesley Hunt's been here, Corey Mills, Mike Collins, and, and Eli Crane. And uh, they're, they're all working really hard together up on Capitol Hill to try and hold Kevin McCarthy accountable. And, you know, we even ask him, like, just the questions that I think are important, like, how does it feel being an America first candidate who becomes an America first representative who's got such a small vote in the House of Representatives right now? And every time you post anything, whether it be the good works you do in your district or how you're intent on holding Kevin McCarthy accountable and people, you know, are just so negative and abusive in the comments. It's like their frustration is, has reached a peak. I think we're definitely going to see uh, some moves to either have Kevin McCarthy do the job that he told them he was going to do in the next few weeks or, or we're going to see a motion to vacate. I, I personally feel like that's where we're at. I, I hope it is. And, and if that's the case, then we could move on from that and, yeah. and see where we go from there. But one thing, one, one thing these ahead. guys have to realize, and, and you can help spread the word as you talk to them. Um, you know, I, I do know, I do know Mike very well. Um, I have his phone number. I've met Wesley's great guy. have met Eli, but I haven't, I don't have their contact information, but you know, I've been talking with good folks like Matt Gates, Corey Mills. And, sure. you know, while Kevin McCarthy's, got his thumbs up his ass he's out recruiting candidates for uh this upcoming election so you know he he he's making uh the strides that you know that are going to keep him in power and so what what these guys have to do is they have to help guys like me 
yep. fight against this machine because if they don't, they're going to be sitting in the same position that they are now in two years with you know being in being the America First minority because that's what leadership wants. They they only support America First and Donald Trump when it's beneficial to them. When when House leadership is fundraising off of Donald Trump's indictment, there's a, there's a problem. Yes, there, there's a different and the American people don't want. The American people know that they can't solve anything, but boy, oh boy, if they would just give it a damn try, people would be happy. Yeah, no, I mean, you're 100% correct. I just think about the last election cycle in 2022 and and some of the people who ran great campaigns and were endorsed by President Trump, just off the top of my head, you know, people like Joe Kent, Sandy yeah. Smith, uh, Madison Cawthorn was was eliminated from his seat last time, Sarah Palin up in Alaska because of uh, ranked choice voting. And now I, I could already see it. They're already trying to make... Lauren Boebert, the next Madison Cawthorn, as someone yeah. who's very present, is a TV personality who stumps for America first and is loyal to President Trump, that they want out in the next cycle. And uh, we've got to put our foot down. I am a little bit optimistic because, you know, just as far back as 2018, there were five or six people in the House of Representatives who were 100% America first votes. Now it's a little bit over 20 now, but still those numbers look, we can't get anything done. We passed on limit spend, uh, limit save grow, and, and we folded on Joe Biden on a whole bunch of other stuff, and I hope it doesn't turn out to be the same way with appropriations. JR, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's kind of one of the topics that's been, you know, encompassing the show today. It's the new argument from the establishment since we've been talking about them throughout the course of this interview. Uh, the ones who are there and don't want to lose their grips on traditional conservatism, and that's the forever war party who stumps for lower taxes and immigration reform, Social Security and Medicare, versus the rise of America first and, and, and the argument for populism. We've reached a point now to where we see things like bringing jobs back, limiting visas, closing the border, cramping down on crime, holding countries like China and Russia accountable leaving international treaties that don't serve the United States and, and holding others like NATO foot to the fire so they actually pay their fair share. That stuff all worked during the Trump administration. America was a lot more prosperous. However, the establishment knows that they're, the international billionaire donor class and all of the international lobby groups, well, their benefits lie if they can continue to control Congress and the Republican side you know, of the establishment. So as we make this argument moving forward, this, this upcoming election in 2024, not just in the House and Senate, but across the board all the way up to the Oval Office, I feel is our last chance to really deep-root populism back in this country and make it great again and turn that into something that could roll into maybe two or three consecutive terms, or, or we're going to lose it because... You know, we're getting ready to cycle out some of the older leadership in the Republican Party. In the next five or six years, people like Mitch McConnell and those, they'll be gone. But the fact of the matter is the people who have worked underneath them who are a lot younger and can deliver and hammer that message home that have been working under them or around them for so many years are going to be taken over. How important is it to you to continue this America First populist message? And uh, what are some of the risks we run if we just can't run the table in 2024? You know, I think, number one, we've seen a dilution of, of American sovereignty under the Biden administration. And, you know, we're not America first, folks. We're not nationalists in the sense that we want to crawl in a corner and only think about our own country. I mean, we, we understand that we're the leader of the free world. But, you know, until we clean our own room, we can't, you know, go around to other people's houses, knock on the door with a plate of cookies and think that everything's going to be OK because Absolutely. our kids are sitting at home that haven't had dinner yet. Right. And so to, to make it an analogy, that that's that's what, how I would say it. And, you know, populism in itself, I mean, 
look back to the days of Barry Goldwater when he was screaming about, you know, what we needed to do and, and he was being undercut by his own party. That's that's the Donald Trump is the Barry Goldwater, right? But the the difference is is that you know, he's been able to uh, coalesce a, a bunch of supporters because he speaks our language. He says what he's going to do and he does what he's going to, you know, what he says. And populism isn't about being popular. And and that's the, I think, the general misconception. Um, it, it's about doing for the people, by the people. It's about, you know, uh, working on issues that are important to the general population. And I think that right now Americans are just so starving and, and hungry for a little bit of change and a little bit of, you know, get back. And we're, we're watching, um, you know, the oligarchs in our, in our economy and in the business world, just deep in their pockets. And these, co these companies are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, in 2024, if we don't get Trump back in the office to right some of these wrongs, we're going to be in, in, in a, I mean, I don't even, I can't even fathom what it would be like with another Democrat president. I, I just can't even come to terms with that. Uh -uh. And I think this is, you know, we said 2022 was, was important. We said 2020 was important and, you know, I hate ringing that bell, but you know, we, I don't think we understood how, how bad it could really get. And now I think we know, and I think people are going to vote in 2024 for Trump not only out of love for him, but out of fear of, of what could possibly be. And we need candidates that are in touch with their base. They're in touch with their constituents. Right. And, and that's what populism is all about. And, you know, I think that those that oppose populism, you know, it, it could be said right off the cuff that they're in politics and for, for one thing only, and that's their own self yep. self game. Yeah. And you can see by all the millionaires, that have been made in Congress over the course of, of a lot of these longstanding careers. I mean, you know, I don't see people like Matt Gates and Byron Donalds and all these other America first congressmen and women talking about their benefits of insider trading or where they're going to buy their next house or vacation on their yacht or, or whatever. I see them out there talking about, you know, releasing the J six tapes and, and yeah. stopping Joe Biden's legislation and doing whatever we can do to uh, investigate the FBI and DOJ. But I digress. I mean, you know, we still got about 13 months before we can make some real changes. So that's why people who stand in the breach like us, JR, you especially uh, have to stay in the fight. Listen, we're going to live link your website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, J.R. Majewski on Twitter, J.R. Majewski on Facebook, all the other forms of social media. I'm, I'm usually there. If uh, The only thing I'm not on is that bullshit liberal threads that I'll never be on. <laughs> other than that, you can find me. I like it. And, and we like when you come and spend some time with us. This is the veteran, former congressional candidate and nuclear energy industry expert, we'll call him here on Steak for Breakfast, Mr. J.R. Majewski. Have a great weekend. You guys too, man. God bless you. The day that Judge Maida ruled that I could not use executive privilege as the defense in this case, the die was cast. This was pro forma, pro forma. We knew going in what the verdict was going to be. That's why this is going to the appeals court. And we feel, look, I said from the beginning, this is going to the Supreme Court. I said from the beginning, I am willing to go to prison, to settle this issue. I'm willing to do that, but I also know that the likelihood of me going to prison is relatively small because we are right.
our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. I'm running for president because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. I think we need new leadership in the White House, and we need to decide here and now that Joe Biden will never be reelected as president of the United States. He was there for the Mount Rushmore fireworks back in 2020. Uh, what are you expecting from the president's visit? Well, he's coming to help out our state Republican Party, which I'm grateful for. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think he's going to have an inspiring speech. I'm thankful that He's coming to our state. People are excited to see him. This event sold out in just hours uh, when we made it available. We will have eight to 9,000 people in attendance. It'll be maxed out. And people will be there excited to see this president that thought about them every single day. That's the one thing we're going to talk about that night is that this president shows up. Uh, we've invited many other people to come to our state and talk to us, and they keep saying how insignificant South Dakota is. It's not important to be in South Dakota right now. We there want to be in Iowa, New Hampshire. You're 58 now. If you win the second term, as you and the president are running to do, he would be 86 at the end of it. The Wall Street Journal had a poll showing two-thirds of Democrats say Joe Biden is too old to run again. Are you prepared to be commander-in-chief? Yes, I am. President Biden is the oldest president in U.S. history. Why does White House staff treat him like a baby? I have new polling from the Wall Street Journal that has President Joe Biden and Donald Trump in a dead heat in a 2024 general election matchup. In the survey, 46% say they would vote for Biden, while 46% say they would vote for Trump. 8% say they are undecided. So in the, this conversation, mixing this in, really shows you where the country's at, Joe. Well, and it's Gene, I mean, just look, look, well, just look at the numbers, Gene. You've got you've got 46 percent of Americans supporting a guy who's been indicted four times, indicted for stealing nuclear secrets, indicted for stealing war plans, called a rapist by a, a New York judge saying that what he did was 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 akin to rape. Uh, you, you've, you've got a guy that's that's being charged uh for his uh, uh, illegal payoffs to porn stars. I mean, we could go down the list. A guy who started a riot on January the 6th, uh, mm -hmm. a, an insurrection, uh, had had fake electors, had this fraudulent scheme uh, to, to, to steal votes from millions and millions of Americans in seven swing states. I mean, I could go on. Called the Republican a secretary of state in Georgia and said, steal enough votes for me, find enough votes so I can steal Georgia. 46% of Americans mm -hmm. are voting for the guy who said he would terminate the Constitution to get back into power. Well, those are some of the sounds of the week from the campaign trail and places as such. And we're going to play a little presidential primary roundup. What do you think, Noah? Quite the montage right there. You saw that Dr. Peter Navarro, great friend of the show here, was convicted for failure to comply with Congress. How much time is he going to do? Well, I, I believe the max is one year in prison. Uh, Eric Holder's still waiting to serve his one year for his contempt of Congress conviction that mm. 
Yeah, went unconvicted. So it's nowhere. It's not going to happen. They dusted off Dick Cheney to talk about how Donald Trump's the biggest threat to America. Even gave him a cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. Christy Nome, who we're all excited about, was uh, gushing over the fact that Donald Trump will be in South Dakota tonight for a rally. Kamal Harris is ready to assume the role of commander-in-chief. Is she? <laughs> like, ready, like, mentally, or just she's ready? Like, I, I want to do it. Peter Ducey muses why the White House staff treat Joe Biden like a baby. <laughs> I, I kind of wish she would have given KJP just a little bit of her answer. Mm-hmm. And MSNBC's Joe Doucheborough and friends cope and seethe over the fact that Donald Trump is tied in that poll with Joe Biden, although he's winning in several of the other ones, including a Wall Street Journal poll that came out last week. Yeah, any polls that are showing him being tied, that's a very, very, very healthy, wishful spin. So, as we hit the campaign trail this week and talk about some of the people participating in the fake primary, because Donald Trump is running away with the actual one, former South Carolina governor and ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, seems to be the next shiny thing that the international billionaire donor class wants to hitch their wagons to. And, you know, first it was Ron DeSantis. That goes without being said. Then it looked like it was going to be Tim Scott, but he had a really terrible debate. And now there's questions about his weirdness with being like a 50-something-year-old guy and not being married. Um, And Nikki Haley brings a little bit more of a complete resume to the table. Although, again, we like to just tell you guys and, and highlight the fact that she likes to remind everybody that she's a woman running in a man's world. And can't start a sentence without saying Russia and China without mm. ending the same sentence by saying China and Russia. And she literally does that. Slap a little affirmative action, kneeling for Black Lives Matters, and all things Ukraine in between. And that's the candidate the, the establishment wants to hitch their wagon to this week. Gross. We'll see how long that lasts. She sat down with Jesse Waters yesterday on Fox News. Let's hear her. Biden campaign just released a statement attacking you. They said you're a MAGA Republican. You got no real plan. You're extreme right. Your response? My response is then why did your strategist last week say and it got into the press that the one person they're worried about in a Republican primary is Nikki Haley? I mean, look, you should be worried. I would stomp all over Joe Biden. I would call Kamala Harris out like I've been calling calling Kamala Harris out. But everybody Mm. needs to know this is really me running against Kamala Harris for president. That's who we're looking at. That should send a chill up everyone's spine. That's why Americans need to care about what happens in this primary. That's it. Mm. And that is a fucking nightmare scenario. I couldn't imagine two bigger retards running against each other. One who's the absolute queen of the establishment and the military industrial complex and all things affixed to that, etc. In Nikki Haley versus the greatest DEI hire in the history of American politics to this point, Kamala Harris. Uh, And if that's what our, you know, republic has degenerated itself into right now, then... You get what you fucking deserve. And it's one of those things. It's like if you hire hire one of these people that are literally just hired because of checkbox A, checkbox C, checkbox D, then they better at least be somewhat competent and good at what they're doing. And Kamala Harris is not, not doing anything even remotely nearby competent any of those no she like she checks no boxes nothing she's well she checks boxes but not mm. any you know like presidential ones good job boxes mm-hmm. i saw sloppy chris christie was making his way 
rolling himself around the, uh, you know, establishment cable news channels this week, bitching about something like he always does. I just think it's funny to hear him complain about Donald Trump 24-7, so let's hear him. I, I wouldn't do one thing differently. My job at that moment, when you saw that picture, we had over $35 billion in damage done to our state. Two-thirds of the state was without electricity. We had no operating water treatment or wastewater treatment plants. Every major highway was obstructed. 365,000 homes were destroyed in 24 hours. That's the guy who can help me get it fixed. Should DeSantis have met with... Of course he should have. Look, it, we shouldn't be playing politics with this stuff. And But Governor DeSantis has always played politics with this. He voted against Sandy Aid in 2012 as a member of the House, and now he wants aid. You know, this is the hypocrisy that everybody sees in politics and why they're looking for someone who will just tell them the truth. I'm trying to tell the people in that camera the truth tonight, which is if I had to do it all over again 11 years later, and I know it was six days before the election, but I was governor of New Jersey, and my job was to make sure my state got rebuilt and my people recovered as quickly as possible, and I couldn't do that without the help of the President of the United States. You obviously... And, of course, right there you hear him bitching about Ron DeSantis, who turned down uh, an invitation to survey the damage in Florida from last week's hurricane, Idalia, mm. with uh, current President Joe Biden. You know, a lot of people hit Chris Christie on that iconic picture of him and Barack Obama hugging. Kind of mm. has a different context to it these days. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Talk about grossing me out, which is not what you should be feeling if you're enjoying this podcast today. That's why, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please subscribe to the show. Also, across all of our social media platforms, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. I want to remind everybody that we have FBI whistleblower Steve Friend coming in to share with us in just a minute. Now we're going to segue over to Mike Pence. He had a bad week. You know, the argument between the establishment trumpeting Conservatism and America First, obviously holding up the mantle of populism, is coming to a head. And the former disgraced vice president went around this week offering just that. Follow him into the land of conservatism, into the military-industrial complex, and all things attached to that. Forever wars, sometimes lower taxes, talking about immigration reform and never doing anything about it, etc. Or follow Donald Trump and uh, help make America great again. Let's hear Mike Pence. And welcome back to our program. Our digital team got a copy of your speech today. And one of the lines you're set to deliver is that, are we going to follow the siren song of populism away from the timeless conservative principles of the Republican Party? Uh, To whom are you referring? Right. Well, look, you look at this Republican field whether it's uh, my former running mate or some of his imitators. And uh, there is a push uh, in this Republican primary to, to move us away from our party's historic commitment to American leadership on the world stage, yes. to a commitment to fiscal responsibility and yes. reform in the face of a massive national debt crisis. Uh, and many of those people I shared the stage with, including my former running mate who wasn't there, want to margin 
criminalize the right to life and relegate it to a state's only issue. You know, I, I came to this party, Bill, uh, during the Reagan years, uh, and uh, and and I really believe, and not only the pathway to victory for the Republican Party in the fall of '24, but the way we restore security and prosperity for the American people is to deliver a standard bearer and an agenda that's built on that common sense conservative agenda that has always delivered greater security and prosperity for the American people. And and I say with great humility uh, that I'm the most proven, the most consistent, the most qualified, and the most tested conservative in this race. And we're going to lay out that contrast today at St. A's here okay. in New Hampshire. All right, you, you, you mentioned the imitators. Let, let me just show you where you stand right now. Uh, Wall Street Journal polling over the last couple of days, among Oof. the first choice of those Republicans, you're at 2%. Uh, and then among Good those you, who Bill have Everett. a second choice in the race, you bump up to 4%, so you nice. doubled your outcome there. Um, I, uh, I didn't hear any names there, but you and Vivek Ramaswamy seem to be sparring partners. So, yeah, that was Mike Pence. Listen, you want to talk about <laughs> cringe? It, it's the pitch that he has to not follow populism mm -hmm. and, and not to make America great again and not to have America first. Uh, you know, we all know it. We, we know it here on the show. We've all lived through it. I'm sure everybody that listens to Steak for Breakfast and is an adult, a lot of our listeners have families and careers, potential retirement funds or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. After two and a half years of the Biden administration, um, you've seen your neighborhoods get completely degraded and destroyed over the course of the last couple of years, how much you're paying at the gas pump and keep a roof over your head while trying to feed your family. Uh, it becomes a challenge every two weeks now. And for these guys just to say like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll just go back to, you know, we'll lower your taxes a little bit and walk around in suits and, <laughs> and then everything will be fine. Yeah, perfect. Fuck that. We're not going back there anymore. Here's the thing. Donald Trump was asked this week, while on the campaign trail, if his quest to retake the Oval Office is essentially a revenge tour. I like the answer. Is it I, yes? I think you're going to as well. <laughs> Let's check it out. Oh, you said that you would be entitled, if you were reelected, to a revenge tour, but you wouldn't go on it. When I hear you bring up Adam again, are you still of that opinion? You would not look backwards. You would only look forwards if you were reelected? I only look for the truth. And when I find the truth, I think the people have to know the truth. Because mm. these people have maligned me for seven years. They've been maligning me and libeling me and creating false stuff. I mean, look at the 51 uh, intelligence agents, where they got them to say something that they knew on their laptop from hell, where they said it was Russia disinformation. And they all knew it wasn't Russia disinformation, every one of them. They all lied. And there's a lot of suits going on. You know, we're suing different things. It's too bad uh, uh, they weren't sued by the Justice Department because that's where the suits should have been. But would you use the power of the presidency like the to go after the, the people? Would you use the power of the Would you use the power of the presidency to go after the people who maligned you? Uh, we want to find the truth <laughs> more than anything else. Now, here's the one thing: we've pretty much found the truth. There was cheating on massive cheating on the election. We pretty much found the truth. The that sounds like a yes, Mr. President. You will go after him. That sounds like a yes, you would go after him. I want to find the truth. And I think I'm entitled to find the truth. Because they came after me with lies. They came after me with the fake dossier. They came after me with 18 angry Democrats. And I have great respect for one of the 
because one of those 18 said we cannot, he didn't do anything wrong, and they found no collusion. Happens but they would have said mm-hmm. it. I mean, you know, Weissman and these other guys would have said it. There was, I, you know what I say? I said I had an angel in there because they had 18 guys that were willing to lie, but they had one that wasn't, and one, the one that wasn't had some power. Now, if you get these dismissals, Mr. President, and and they would continue to go on there. So looks like a a soft yes. We all know it's a super hard one. But but that was kind of an actual receipt that Donald Trump gave on that uh, a little bit earlier this week. So sliding away from retribution and bringing it back with the little polls. Before we get into that, Noah, did you hear that Donald Trump, who's been getting hammered online for a I'm air quoting now, abandoning J6 everybody's. Mm-hmm. You know, people fail to realize, I think, no, you're going to think this is funny. Donald Trump is a January 6th defendant. Yeah. Donald Trump has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on private events for the families of, of J6 defendants. And although I can't put an actual dollar amount on it, I've asked the people who coordinate these things, and they would rather not put an actual dollar amount on it for, you know, obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But just at Mar-a-Lago in Bedminster alone, I know of three events where Donald Trump has picked up the check for these people who wanted to use the facilities just for the sole fact that it's a beautiful place and that he might show up to spend a little time with them. And guess what? He did. He, he spent time with those families every fucking time. Yep. Donald Trump held this week at Bedminster a $100,000 a plate dinner to fundraise for the defendants in his Georgia case. Well, I know I can't afford that, but they made a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, hyped up Rudy, who's America's mayor, getting dragged through the mud through this whole thing. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, throw that in there because I see these absolute fucking retards online who, you know, they'll start off. First of all, it's like I always start with no one's fucking reading this because by the time I get to, like, the ninth paragraph on how they're making stuff up about Donald. Oh, and then he, you know, Pied Pipered these people from the ellipse to the Capitol and what happened, like, he cowered in the White House without... It's all total bullshit. Mm-hmm. It, it's for it's the a re- stretch. Yeah, the, the low IQ individuals online who read it in pearl clutch. But, uh, you know, y- you have to actually be able to produce the facts. And, and the facts of the matter is, is Donald Trump is doing a lot behind the scenes that people don't see. And here's why. Number one, when it has to do with money, there's always things that you just don't go around professing it and making it public. And number two, doing the right thing to do. It's not like Donald Trump wants to go around and get a fucking medal for this. And he's going through a lot of the same stuff himself. So jumping into the morning consult from yesterday, 2024 National Republican primary, we're going to hit a couple polls here. Donald Trump is at 60%, up 45 points on Ron DeSantis, who's at 15, Ramaswamy at 8, Pence 6, Haley 5, Christie 3, Scott 2, and Ada at 1. I also saw the uh, Berkeley put out a poll for the California 2024. Trump holds a 39-point lead for the Republican nomination at 55% over his nearest contender, Ron DeSantis, at 16. So that's a winner-take-all state right there and would scoop up a massive amount of the delegates that Donald Trump needs to claim the nomination. We have the interactive polls put out one yesterday from Premise Data. Presidential election, Donald Trump 44, up six points on Joe Biden at 38%. Joe Biden beats Ron DeSantis 37 to 35 in the GOP primary. Trump 61, DeSantis 12, Pence 6, Haley 5, Ramaswamy 5. Head-to-head Trump versus DeSantis. The Don Don, 66%, Ron DeSantis at 24. Mm. I know it's not always, like, reasonable to constantly rail on 
calling the rest of the people in the GOP primary members of the fake primary. Mm -hmm. But it is. I, I Poll after poll, from outlet after outlet, week after week, now we're getting more polls from the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the, the, the pollsters that hate Donald Trump and America first showing his lead widening on a weekly basis. What can you say? Here's another one. Morning consult this morning. Trump 60, DeSantis 15, Ramaswamy 8, and so on and so forth. National poll. Here's another news, air quoting, outlet that absolutely adores President Trump, CNN. President Trump 47, Joe Biden 46. Dang, that means it's way off. In an October 2020 CNN poll, Biden led Trump 54 to 42. What a fucking flip there. Mm. GOP presidential poll, uh, Republican side, Trump 52, DeSantis 18, Haley 7, Pence 7, Ramaswamy 6. They also included job approval. Joe Biden, 39% approval rating, disapproved 61%. The numbers don't lie. Nope. The polls don't lie. I'll be the first person to tell you that polls and rally size do not equal votes on election day. But these are the people that are doing the data right here. Here you go. 15 legal voters. 618 GOP. The rest Democrats. National poll. Redfield Wilton. Presidential election, Donald Trump 42, Joe Biden 41. GOP president, Donald Trump 65, Ramaswamy 10, DeSantis 9, Christie 3, Haley 2. On the presidential side, Joe Biden's at 71% over RFK Jr., who's at 9, Williamson at 3, and Manchin at 1. Manchin's not announced yet. So that's all I got as far as the poll number goes. And in our last audio clip of the day, I'm absolutely gushing over the fact that Donald Trump's going to be in South Dakota tonight. I want to see what the optics look like. I want to see how well he's going to be received. I want to see what Donald Trump and Christy Nome in action as a potential America First ticket looks like in real time. Noah, we love the South Dakota governor. Mm -hmm. We've highlighted a lot of the different reasons that we've come to the conclusion that she's a strong contender for the vice president in 2024. Her national ad campaign, her absolute hatred for Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Um, the fact that she was right on most things with COVID, she was better on things like the trans stuff and women's sports that she kind of walked back on. But overall, she's been America first. She's been present in places like down on the southern border. She's been an advocate for American energy dominance. It seems like even before we started thinking about her as a potential VP pick, she was doing all the things America first and agenda 47 related on her own and in her state. She's thriving. And I also want to remind everybody for a little bit of a lighter note, Donald Trump has a type. Yeah. You look at Melania, mm -hmm. you look at Alina Haba, mm -hmm. Christina Bob yep. and friends. Mm -hmm. I would say Christy Nome would fall into that category. Yeah. Is hot mom extraordinaire. <laughs> She sat down with Fox News's Ron DeSantis enjoyer, Brian Kilmeade, yesterday to highlight and preview a little bit of Donald Trump's speaking event in South Dakota tonight. Let's hear it. It's going to be headlining a GOP rally in Rapid City tomorrow. Uh, so first off, how is it selling? How is it moving? How did you get the former president? Well, we asked him and he said, yes, he would come. I think that's what's so remarkable is we've asked several people to come visit us in South me. Dakota that are running for president. And he is the one who said, I'll be there for you, Christy. I'll be there for the people of our state. So within hours, the event sold out. 
Uh, then we expanded the seating, and that sold out again within the first day they were available. So there will be over 7,000 people in attendance. Um, I'm sure many more will have, would have wanted to come, but that's all the capacity that we have available to us. And uh, he should have and be surrounded by people that recognize how hard he fought to protect America and how he still wants to continue to do that in the future. I'm pretty sure that it's all but you considered running for president. Um, I, I, I assume... The door is almost shut on that. Many people, experts on the outside, will I'm saying that you'd be the perfect running mate if should President Trump hold on to this lead and become the nominee. Have you thought about she it? Smiled. Have you discussed that with the former <laughs> president? We have not discussed it at all. And I would say everybody, if asked to serve in any role, should consider it, especially right now when you watch what's happening across this country. And all it takes for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. We've got a lot of people who say, oh, politics is ugly. Politics, you know, is divisive. I don't want to get involved in it. Well, how will you feel in 10 years when this country is no longer the greatest example of freedom in the world? So step up, people. Be better. Go do what you can uh, to be engaged, because the reason that we see the violence that's going on in New York City and in other communities is because good men did absolutely nothing. And now those of us who really do care and want to protect this country, we have to be present, show up like President Trump is tomorrow in South Dakota and start talking about what is precious about this this country that we need to save. Governor, uh, have you endorsed him? I haven't, but I've talked openly that he's the candidate I'm supporting. So tomorrow we'll have some conversations at the rally that I think everybody will be interested in. But, um, of course, he's absolutely the best choice for us. I don't know of any other candidate that's running for president right now that fought when it mattered. I'm thinking back to the big battles we've had in this country to protect our constitutional rights. He's the only one I know of that went out there and actually fought to make sure that those foundational beliefs were going to be protected. So I'm looking for a fighter that knows when to dig in when it gets controversial and hard, because that's really when we have someone who will stand in the gap for all of us. Killing must be you think he would? so hard. <laughs> yes, I do know that he would. He's proven it. You know, you look at everybody who's standing on that stage and look at their record. You can't rewrite history. So many of these candidates are trying to rewrite history. People on that stage shut down their businesses. They oh, shut down their states the and their beaches. They had bad foreign policy when they were in office, when they had the chance to to really do something to make uh, America stronger. So, boy, people don't let them just mm-hmm. because they're giving a lot of speeches and debates. Rewrite history. Go back and see what they really did when it really mattered. Um, right. Then you'll decide who's the best person to lead this it. country. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, this is the message you can get from the governor. If you need something done, ask for it. You ask for people. They came. You put, mm-hmm. cut out ads. Yep. They went. You ask the president to help you out. Have the Republican Party out in South Dakota. And he's coming. Uh, so, Governor Christy Nome, not shy. Nice to see you, Governor. A little persistent. Mm, yeah. So, endorsement alert. Mm-hmm. Probably going to get that tonight. Uh, we are going to get that tonight. Man, what a garbage interview he did. She goes into this long-winded answer about how Donald Trump is the only person that fought for some of the, you know, constitutional protections that were constantly under attack during the course of his administration. And as soon as she's done talking, he's like, but did he? (laughs) Weak. Yeah, he sucks so bad. Listen, besides the event tonight in South Dakota, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump are also going to be in Iowa tomorrow which is Saturday. Uh, they've both been invited to participate in watching the Iowa Hawkeyes take on the Iowa State Cyclones. Donald Trump, on behalf of Matt Whitaker and, and some of the Republican delegates there, and, and Meatball's going to be showing up with Kim Reynolds, who 
chose poorly. Hmm. Uh, and just look at Kim Reynolds is the great governor in, a, in the state of Iowa, and Christy Nome is a great governor in the state of South Dakota, and who's getting a rally and probably vetted for vice president and who's not. So that's kind of where we are in the week, and uh, looking forward to breaking all this stuff down and, and how wild the weekend's going to get on our Tuesday edition of the show. We're getting ready to jump in with Steve Friend right now, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's an FBI whistleblower and the world-famous author of True Blue. Really looking forward to sitting down with Mr. Steve Friend again. Steve, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me today. Well, I wish we could bring you on to talk about cool stuff like sports or food or anything like that, but we're not really a variety program. We're more of a focused in on the politics, and we've seen some stuff recently with the FBI and the DOJ and all entities connected kind of ramping up. I, I know you've pointed out a lot of it on different shows that you've been doing and across your social media, so we wanted to touch base and, and get a little information from you on that. I know you saw this week there were some more convictions uh, in some of the things related to January 6th. Obviously, the uh, leader of the Proud Boys is going to be spending over two decades in prison before the appeals process begins for him. Also, I know you saw uh, probably yesterday Dr. Navarro was convicted as well. Just watching this kind of stuff unfold and, and, and knowing that, you know, federal law enforcement and, and the justice system has been set up to, to not work for but against the American people at this point and, and kind of where it's going. How, how, do you, how does this make you feel? And, and what do you think uh, of how all this situation is kind of unfolding? I'm just disgusted by what we saw transpire this week and over the last few weeks, even with the the FBI being involved in, I believe it's now up to five shootings yep. in the last month. And the, the fact that those were completely unnecessary and I'm not sort of uh, giving a pass to anybody uh, who commits a crime. I think that you should be held accountable to it, but uh, certainly the FBI is not inclined to use the least amount of force necessary. And I've just come around to uh, the idea that I'm no longer going to issue the qualifier of the good men and women of the FBI or the DOJ. At this point, it's so well documented about the abuses that are going on. And anybody that's sworn up to uphold the uh, the Constitution or protect their their fellow citizens, they, they cannot be uh, avoid scrutiny at this point. And I think everybody needs to be held accountable. And I'm going forward with the idea of just no quarter is going to be my motto. We like to present that one as well as I think it's most appropriate because, you know, and I know exactly what you're talking about, that that old Sean Hannity reference that, you know, it's it's the people at the top and underneath working on the ground are good, hardworking, tax-paying, blue-collared American men and women who are in the field. And let's just not, you know, disinform our audience right now. I'm sure there are some great people who work for the FBI and in the Justice Department who care about the Constitution in the country. But when you just look at the blanketed way uh, that law enforcement and the way the justice system is, is applied to the average American citizen over the course of the last decade, especially over the course of the last seven years, uh, it, it's not only two tiers, but it's running towards third world country-ish. I mean, you can't go and protest being pro-life. 
or freedom of religion, talking about what kind of pornographic material is or is not being presented to your kids at school while their counselors and teachers hide the fact that they're transitioning him behind your back. And then all the stuff related to just being able to, you know, protest or or disagree with the fact that some candidates win and some candidates lose. All things that are supposed to be, you know, parts of the Constitution and help make this country great. We just don't see it anymore. And then one of the things that you touched on, I thought's a great example. It is not common for there to be five FBI-related shootings over the course of the last 28 days. And uh, maybe you want to just elaborate on that a little bit as well. Yeah, I think that this is derivative of a mindset that's crept into the FBI, and certainly I saw it in my time there. And I was a guy who worked violent crime. I was a guy who was on a SWAT team. And the idea, the pop culture notion that we have of an FBI special agent that we see on TV and movies who has the case and investigates it and tracks down the bad guy and puts him in jail, that does not exist in reality. In reality, you're a case manager. And when you're a manager, you move chess pieces around a board. So if you need financial analysis done, you get the forensic accountant to handle that. If you need evidence collected, the evidence collection team does it. If you need surveillance, the surveillance team does it. And now when you need to have an arrest done, you send the SWAT team to do it. And as a result of that, the FBI is introducing a higher likelihood of a violent outcome just because it sends the SWAT team there that has all their goodies, has their their M4 rifles slung and then their uh, their their pistols, which is not unusual for a SWAT team. But that their tactics make it more likely that there's going to be an unfortunate outcome and a risk to the public safety here. And they're not using the least amount of force necessary to bring somebody into custody, which you would expect from the premier law enforcement agency. And, you know, when you say that, there's so many instances of these cases where a typical apprehension can just go off the rails. A lot of the time we find out after the case that the FBI knew and and in a lot of cases actually communicated with the subject that, you know, they wound up having a, a deadly use of force with. And it makes you wonder, like, OK, if you've already talked to this person and you knew everything about them, you knew that their schedule and you, you talk to people in and around either their family, their community, and you knew they, they weren't a threat. How do you get from one to dead? Well, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. True story. <laughs> That's a really good analogy, Noah. But, you know, it, it, it's one of the things where just the way that, that you know, these uh, people who are operating within the FBI right now, just the way they're conducting law enforcement, how has policy changed so much in such a short amount of time to where it's, let's try to end this at the most peaceful resolution possible to we're going to bring everybody and everybody else's friends. And if shit goes down, we'll just be able to tell everybody that they were a bad person. I think that the entire process has become sterilized. And I say that because of the FBI's quota system that it has, it's called integrated program management, and it dictates the number of cases and arrests you're supposed to have and the, the stats that you're supposed to earn every year and the boat and the bonus structure that for senior executives for having hit those. So yes, people get $50,000 bonuses because their subordinates arrest the right number of people. And as a result of that, the FBI is just concentrating on opportunities. So if there's an opportunity to jam somebody up with a domestic terrorist case because they were saying something on Facebook, they're going to jump on it. If there's an opportunity to recruit an informant, which is another quota, in a Catholic parish, they're going to jump on that as well. And that is driving the operations within the FBI, which is counterintuitive. It's it's counter what you expect from law enforcement because you want crime to come down. That's why you vote for your sheriff. And if he doesn't do the job, you boot him out of office and elect somebody who does. But the FBI is now incentivized to bring the crime numbers up. And we saw that, um, you know, with a lot of the stuff that was exposed regarding January 6th, instead of 
making that a Washington-based incident with the people there being the, the ones that would be investigated and eventually charged if they had done anything wrong. They were taking people who had come from all over the country, and let's say if there was people from Washington or California or Texas, like they would just spiderweb it out to there to say that this was like a nationally coordinated insurrection or, uh, you know, whatever. I'm going to stick in this thread of January 6th. I want to ask you a couple questions about that. I mean, obviously you saw Nate Hughes was arrested this week. He's a friend of the Hodge twins and, and was arrested in public for things uh, in and about January 6th. In addition to that, it looks like the FBI and the DOJ is looking to investigate Owen Schroyer from InfoWars uh, just based off stuff that he said on this program that they said may or may not have led to, you know, inciting violence at the Capitol on that day. Uh, what do you think? Why are we still spiderwebbing this out? Is this just beating the dead horse to make it look like President Trump's case is, is more relevant than it really is, in your opinion? I think that's part of it. I think that there's a lot of money to be made by people by generating the domestic terrorist narrative. And this obviously they've they've now labeled it as white supremacist or anti-government extremism. Those are the, the top priorities. And this was the the boondoggle case that they've been able to spin up. The only thing that's going to stop it is a statute of limitations, which is going to be five years. And they're just going to drive this home because it's an electoral winner from the, the Democrat Party's standpoint. And I'll just talk about Owen Schroyer here. The 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 illogical leap that you have to make for asking for 120 days when he is convicted of committing a crime, which he didn't commit. And the DOJ admitted in the sentencing memorandum that he didn't actually commit the crime that he was pleading guilty to. And yet they were still recommending a sentencing enhancement. That to me seems like a major grounds for an appeal. Sure. And then Nate Hughes, I watched the, the alternate angle of that arrest and look, just having some insider knowledge. Those are mostly SWAT guys on a squad arrest. Again, using more a force than necessary. If it was me, I would get one of my buddies. We'd call Nate up and have him surrender because that's how you handle that situation. He's it's obviously been three years since the incident. And uh and it's not like a flight risk situation or a violent situation. If he runs, fine, but the US Marshals chase him down. But that's not what they did because they're inclined to use more force. It like like you said before, it's it, you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And that's why they have uh, pursued these these tactics to bring people into custody. And, and they've been, frankly, extremely fortunate that we have not had a Waco or Ruby Ridge type of scenario break off, which is easily foreseeable to me, especially as we get further and further out from the actual incident date. And because these cases are being farmed out to the offices on paper around the country, but they're actually being led from Washington, D.C., there's a big, giant glut. So they're not getting to these cases in a timely fashion. So in my office, which is one of my the reasons I came forward, they were going to send SWAT to arrest a guy who they'd last talked to a year and a half before, and he had pledged to be cooperative. And we were sending SWAT there. And to me, that gap in time made it relatively reasonable that if you bang on his door at six o'clock in the morning, an armed conflict might ensue because if you bang on my door at six o'clock in the morning, I'm a second amendment uh, person. I'm coming to the door to protect my wife and my family. And sure. it's just one, it's one step of saying, hearing a SWAT operator say gun, 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 and then I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, their narrative continues to spin out of control, which is where it's at now. Yeah. It seems like they want this media presence to be happening throughout these, these scenarios, yeah. except they don't want it to escalate into a Waco or Ruby Ridge. Well, they, yeah, they just always want wins. Like, look, we're going to publicly shame this person and, and let everybody know what it's for, but we hope that they don't, like Steve said, decide to uh, exercise their second amendment rights and, and, you know, want to defend their wife and children or families. Steve, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's the evolution of uh, confidential human sources. You know, it seemed to uh, be throughout the years, for the most part, 
these people would be either specially trained, uh, you know, officers or agents who would infiltrate things that are bad or on the other side, you would catch somebody and then, you know, have them flip and, and, and do the work for you instead of having to put, you know, an officer or an agent in harm's way. But it seems like from things like January 6th to some of these really silly political displays of, of you know, the guys walking around with the neck gaiters on and the flags, like trying to rile up other people. Number one, it's not really working anymore. But number two, it seems to be sending a really dangerous premise because especially in the let's just look at like the Michigan case. I mean, you had people within law enforcement who were sleeping with some of the people who wound up being convicted in an attempt to like not only familiarize them with what the FBI wanted to do, but also to, you know, make the person feel comfortable. Like, okay, there's no way that this could be someone outside of our circle. This person obviously has the same ideals as us. When you see the way that, that confidential human sources are being used now, even in the case of like, obviously someone like Ray Epps, I mean, he had, he had some kind of ax to grind and it looked like it was on the behalf of somebody on that day. And even though, you know, he's even admitted in court exactly what he did, it seems like he's not going to get any penalty or consequence for it. So, how, how do you see, like, this evolution and, and how it's hurt the way law enforcement needs to be conducted when instead of, like, trying to get to the bottom of something malicious or or evil, they're basically just saying, like, okay, we don't like this group of people, so let's just rile them up to the point to where they commit a crime. Yeah, there's a lot there, and you'll have to have me back because I was actually involved with the Whitmer case to a certain extent. Okay. But uh, I, I can tell you about the informants in general, and that is that they do, they are incentivized to be productive because that's the way they get paid. So you'll have these guys who reach out to an organization, and it's just a bunch of guys spouting off about uh, COVID policies in Michigan, and they infiltrate and they drive the ship, and they get these guys who are not predisposed to committing a crime energized to do it. And the other th thing is there could be multiple informants that are in an organization, have penetrated an organization, but they don't know that the other informants are there as well. So they will try to outdo each other. And now you have something snowballing out of control. And then, and lastly, I'll, I'll even comment on the type five assessment, which is essentially a dossier. It's a investigation of an innocent American who the FBI thinks might be a good opportunity, back to opportunity, a target to recruit as an informant, which is what happened in Richmond with the radical traditional Catholic memo that was leaked out. Out. So the FBI's policies for recruiting informants are completely out of whack. It, with proper permission, you can recruit clergy members, lawyers, journalists, even minors to become informants. And I don't think that uh, any of those are in, uh, in keeping with our constitutional republic. No, it certainly is. And I mean, we're going to definitely look into talking with you on the Whitmer case a little bit next time you're coming on. And then, you know, we just thank you for being able to spend some time with us today. It's been great catching up, Steve, and, and just, you know, touching on some of these big issues that are going on across the country, especially with law enforcement right now, as, as that was your expertise. We want to live link whatever you've got in the show description today. And if you want to uh, let our listenership know what your social media handles are. Yeah, uh, Twitter, at Real Steve Friend, and you can follow uh, AmericaRenewing.com. I work for Center for Renewing America. Uh, some great content there was going on. And my, my book is out now. It's published, True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. And you can find it on Amazon. And it's also linked to the top of my Twitter profile. A lot of great people working at the center. You just happen to be one of them. And uh, we really look forward to sitting down with the FBI whistleblower and author of True Blue, Mr. Steve Friend. Thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great weekend. I appreciate it, guys. Ooh-wee, Noah, we did it. Ooh-wee. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 270 other editions of the show, make sure you subscribe to us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show, rate it, leave a review, 
And don't forget to share Steak for Breakfast content. In addition, across all of our social media accounts on Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, follow Steak for Breakfast and hit the notification bell. Guys, we're heading into the weekend a little sad. We've got a lot of Trump-related material happening, so we'll have a lot to talk about on our Tuesday edition of the show, where we've got an absolutely packed all-star America First lineup coming in hot. Former OBM Secretary Russ Vaught's going to be joining us for the first time. We'll sit down with Nevada Senatorial Candidate Jeffrey Gunter as well. Newsweek, Opinion Editor-at-Large Josh Hammer will be here, and my favorite spokeswoman, the official spokeswoman for President Trump, Liz Harrington, will be here as well. So on behalf of the pod team, thanks for listening. Have an absolutely fantastic weekend and take care. (gasps) My God, that's monstrous. I've never heard of anything so negligent. I'll have no part of it. Can you recommend a doctor who will? Yes. Hi, everybody! Hi, Hi, Dr. Dr. Nick! Now, there are many options available for dangerously underweight individuals like yourself. I recommend a slow, steady gorging process combined with acyl horizontology. Of course! You'll want to focus on the neglected food groups, such as the whipped group, the congealed group, and the chocotastic. What can I do to speed the whole thing up, Doctor? Well, be creative. Instead of making sandwiches with bread, use Pop-Tarts. Instead of chewing gum, chew bacon. You could brush your teeth with milkshakes. Hey, did you go to Hollywood Upstairs Medical College too? And remember, if you're not sure about something, rub it against a piece of paper. If the paper turns clear, it's your window to weight gain. Bye-bye, everybody!